Wednesday, July the 15th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have some quick hits around the sporting world for you. We got some news there. We will talk some horse racing for Wednesday and for Thursday. We're going to go through Wednesday's Canterbury races with Dave Valento, Track Phantom. We're going to go through building your stable dual lineups for Gulfstream and for Emerald for Wednesday. Opening day at Saratoga on Thursday. We're going to get you through our thoughts on the full card there for Saratoga opening day. We'll also talk about the pick five for Canterbury on Thursday with Dave Valento. So we hit Wednesday and Thursday with Dave. And then we close things out with King of the Ring 1998, the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne. So bouncing around and starting with uh, some news in, you know, I guess, all over the sporting world. So Former USC quarterback JT Daniels. This one hits a little home to me because I know JT, and not, not personally, but I, I knew him personally as far as being a fan of the team that he uh, played for and watched him play for the Trojans. And this was the guy who was supposed to be the next coming for USC, was someone who actually graduated early from uh, from high school so he could come to college and start as, as a true, true freshman um, he actually still has three years of eligibility left. He suffered a major knee injury in 2019 in the season opener, and he had 20. He passed for over 2,600 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and um, uh, when he was a freshman in 2018. And what happened was Keaton Slovis, uh, Slovis came in last year, and he was really, really good. And he was a freshman, and so now JT would have been, you know, battling. He ends up transferring. And he can play immediately for Georgia. So looks like he, he you know he entered the transfer portal in April and it looks like he's gonna be battling and competing with Jamie Newman, graduate transfer from Wake Forest, and maybe one or two others for a Georgia starting job. ESPN has rated Daniels as the nation number three pocket passer, number 64 overall player uh, in the 2018 recruiting class. And he started from Modern Day and uh, in Santa Ana, California. So yeah, JT Daniels, he'll be able to uh, to play right away. He, he got that uh, the waiver for for transfer. So good luck to JT there. We unfortunately have seen a wave of jockeys that have been testing positive for the coronavirus, and so now you're seeing that um, a lot of these racetracks are having to put back in restrictions that they may have laxed on a little bit as far as the travel was concerned over the last month we've seen a lot of jockeys traveling from racetrack to racetrack and a lot of main major jockeys that we know have tested positive all over you know Fabian Pat uh Saez um Garcia Spinoza uh, Florence Roux just to name a few so now I think New York has said, Laurel Park has also said, so, so, so Saratoga coming up, and some of these tracks have said you have to pick. If you're going to race here, you have to stay here. If you're going to leave, you're going to be have to uh, having to quarantine when you come back. So we're going to see a lot of jockeys, I think, have to pick a home base and sit there for a little while right now as the, the virus numbers and positive cases and a lot of deaths and hospitalizations and stuff all over are starting to spike again. So we'll see. It doesn't seem like 
anything that I've heard of that anyone has mentioned feeling really bad, suffering from very heavy symptoms or anything like that. So we'll keep you posted and pass along any news that we get along uh, along that site. Let's move over to a, a couple things in the NFL. So the players, this is something that I, I don't know about. There's something that's called the Oakley Mouth Shield that they're going to try to implement on in helmets in 2020 to combat the coronavirus. And when you look at it, it right around there where in the helmet by the where their mouth would be where there's normally openings, there's a covering now. And this is supposed to help combat spreading the virus. I don't like the idea of adding things on a football field. This makes me a little bit nervous because on a football field, playing tackle football, when you're going 100 miles, you know, you're going 100%, you know, as far as 100 miles an hour, but you're going as fast as you possibly can at all points. You are trying, you can't, you can't be tuned down. You can't not be, have the switch all the way up. You cannot be ready at all times. If there's something weird about your equipment that's bothering you and you're a little bit off, you could get seriously injured if it's something about your helmet that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not saying if they should be playing, but if these players don't feel comfortable with a helmet on, that makes me a little bit worried. I don't like making additions to to something that they've gotten very comfortable with for a while. Remember the stuff with Antonio Brown last year about the helmet? Just little tweaks to it. J.J. Watt and, and a lot of players have, have even said they don't like the idea of this. Let's see the quote. So J.J. Watt, Houston Texans, firmly against the idea of wearing a face shield. Quote, this is from on ESPN.com article. My second year in the league, I thought it'd be cool. I put a visor on my helmet. I was like, it looks so cool. I want to put a visor on. I had it on for about three periods of practice, and I said, take this soccer off. I'm going to die out here. Now you're going to put something around my mouth. You can keep that. If it comes into play, I don't think you're going to see me on the field. And it says that he's not alone as other players are also pushing back against the face shields as they negotiate safety protocols within the NFL. So that's something to keep an eye on because this thing would be a lot different and uncomfortable for players who have gotten very comfortable with their equipment and throughout you know years and years and years of playing I know things have to change I'm saying if this is what has to happen and it may not be safe for for players who can't see as well or something that's you know that's what Watt mentioned maybe their sight is not quite as good or they're a, st- a half quarter tenth of a step slower that could be serious something else serious the Washington Redskins are now officially no longer the Redskins the another ESPN article reading from the road to a new nickname from uh, one that had existed for 87 years is on the way they're was a what a memo that was sent out that said the name has been retired Sunday. They made it Sunday into Monday they made an announcement that the name is going to be changed. 
and now they will discuss decide very quickly what the name is going to be the the rumors were that there were just um some issues about getting just purchasing some of the name domain things like that so we'll see what the formerly named Washington Redskins will be named and we'll find that out very soon over in the NBA Russell Westbrook test positive so now we're seeing some of the the bigger stars there we'll see what you know how that impacts them we don't know a lot of details about the players that we find out that test positive we only know when they show back up at practice and we know that that means that they've had negative tests since a lot of these players may have tested positive before and now they're not but um Again, we're seeing We didn't see as as many A ton of players, but we did see a, a few And hopefully they'll 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 do their best thing In the bubble, we'll, we'll really start previewing And talking about NBA next week We'll have baseball games to play next week too um, Rondo For the Lakers is hurt He's going to be out 6-8 to eight weeks I don't think this really impacts the Lakers All that much the, where it could hurt, it would be as if LeBron, for any reason, were to get hurt. They could use an extra ball handler. Uh, unfortunately, if LeBron gets hurt, the Lakers aren't going to be doing much anyway. So, this is going to get more opportunity for Alex Caruso, more opportunity for KCP. Probably give the chance for Waiters and J.R. Smith to play a little bit more also. With no Avery Bradley, he's opting out. And now you don't have Rajon Rondo. That is a good amount of minutes that the Lakers are going to need to fill And uh, the logical replacement is more Alex Caruso He fits so nicely playing off of LeBron If you're a big fan of the NBA like I am A good follow on Twitter is at NBA Bubble Life You get to see a lot of the fun things that the players are doing in the bubble together Some of the games they're playing, food they're eating They're Having contests where they were shotgunning beers Playing golf, fishing it, It's just fun, you know It reminds you of little camps Or uh, when you're in college Or uh, it's cool to see Them interacting in a, in a little bit Different ways that we may we, we might not have seen So that's a, a fun follow At NBA Bubble Life A couple things to talk about in baseball Buster Posey is actually Going to be opting out And Buster Posey will not be playing He in the, uh, the the MLB restart He has recently adopted Twin baby girls And they were born prematurely Eight weeks prematurely So he's they're going to have to be In and out of intensive care And they're going to have to deal with um, These babies Who are going to need a lot of attention Over the next few months So Buster Posey He will not be playing And uh, really applaud him For making a decision like that For his family About A-Rod and J-Lo Putting together a group That is bidding on the Mets They've bid apparently on the Mets Put in 300 million of their own money A-Rod and J-Lo Other investors Offensive lineman Joe Thomas From the Browns NBA All-Star Bradley Beal Denver Nuggets Mason Plumley, Chiefs uh, Travis Kelsey DeMarco Murray, Brian Erlacher. So they got a big group bidding on the Mets. Said that they want to sell to this group if the bids are close. I think their bid is put in a uh, 
1.7 billion dollar bid There's a bid around 2 million so far That's the top So if they can maybe get a little bit closer I think they'll end up getting it Because they would love to be To have this group of athletes Everybody knows big faces That would be a good drawing card for them For the Mets Yasiel Yasiel Puig Love seeing Puigi Getting uh, getting signed He's going to be playing with the Atlanta Braves They need a little help They've had a lot of uh, coronavirus issues there Themselves And now with the DH coming into play They can really use an extra outfielder there Because they'll probably have uh, their outfielders Rotating in, in some of the DH spots too So Puig could be a big help For them We all know the you know the issues with Puig He's fiery He sometimes does You know does what he wants to do But his talent is incredible He can win you games single handedly Sometimes he can lose you games by trying to do a little too much And not just taking what's in front of him But I always love watching Puig Out there on the field Let's talk about one of the, the sponsors of That's What G Said Sarah Candle Company Let's go to sarahcandles.com C-E-R-A candles.com And you can check out all of the different options For uh, your candles there So if you're someone who likes candles Maybe you know uh, you're someone in your family One of your friends does Let them know about this candle company They're a little bit different than just you know Your other candle companies you see out there They had a goal To create a candle that was 100% Natural, clean burning And high quality so they have the all-natural soy wax Free from toxins that's found in the, the paraffin wax That a lot of the other leading brands use This all-natural soy wa- wax will help hold your scent longer And burn up to 50% longer than the other wax candles 100% lead-free cotton wicks They are completely natural scents Made in micro-batches Hand-poured to ensure the highest quality If you use a promo code G-I-N-O It'll get you 10% off your purchase They have 25 different scents, over 25 different scents available, three different sizes, fragrance oils that are infused with natural essential oils, best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning, and none of those toxins or carcinogens or pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. They have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. You want to make sure to keep to trim your wicks throughout, and you want to make sure to use the the candle top to put the candles out. So they'll just give you some tips on on what will you know what will be the best way to take care of a, of your candle. Sarah Candle Company, SarahCandles.com. Use that promo code G I N O. It'll get you ten percent off your purchase. Perfect gift for someone. Perfect candle uh, for you if you like one to to hang around the house. I'm a big fan of the Fresh Roses scent. Promo code Gino gets you a little ten percent off. Helps me look good to some of my sponsors too. So take care of a uh, Sarah Candle Company for me. SarahCandles.com. Let's get to our first guest on this show We're going to talk some Canterbury for Wednesday We're going to talk with Dave Valento We go over the Canterbury Park card We talk about uh, the pick five, which starts in race number five They actually have five stakes races too So really good card on Wednesday night over at Canterbury Let's check in with Dave We go races five, six, seven, eight, and nine Another big week of horse racing coming up So you know on That's What G Said We're going to be talking about the Canterbury races With those low takeout pick fives 
trying to tell you folks, if you're going to be playing one track over and over or one wager repeatedly with that low takeout, uh, those Canterbury pick fives, they are awesome. We saw a few weeks ago, we had 85, I think $98,000 pick fives. And it's the ones that feel like they're not going to pay much and they end up paying 400, 500 or a thousand dollars. That's when you really can, can feel the difference with that low takeout. Really excited to, to welcome in a first time guest to that's what G said, someone I've interacted with on social media before, but never had the chance to, to get on here. And now when uh, this gentleman covers Canterbury, it's the perfect time. We bring on Dave Valento to talk some Canterbury with us. Dave, how you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Gino. Excited to talk a little bit of Canterbury with you. Yeah. So for uh, for those of you for those uh, out there who don't know Dave, Dave, I always like to ask people at the beginning, and uh, I will also preface this with saying, there for the last few hours, right by where I live in Long Beach, they're looking for a fugitive. So uh, Harrison Ford is on the run somewhere <laughs> right now, and uh, there are helicopters flying around. So if you hear that in the background, I apologize, folks. It's my place that sounds like a war zone. It's not where Dave is at. So uh, <laughs> Dave, um, now let's get into it. Where? How do you how do you get into horse racing? Tell us a little bit about your background and your history. Sure. Um, well, at Canterbury Park opened. I'm from Minnesota originally. I live in Texas now, but uh, uh, Canterbury Park, Canterbury Downs, actually opened in 1985, and it was a big deal when it opened up. Uh, it really had a monopoly on the gambling piece back then. It, a couple of years later, the Indian casinos opened up and, and diluted that somewhat. But 85, 86. First two years, Canterbury was pretty big. They had some big-name people out there, Bill Mott, Jack Van Berg, Mike Smith started out there, was the leading rider, I think, the first year. So anyways, 86 was the first year that I went out there. My dad and I spent the summers back from college going out to the track together a lot, so kind of learned the game through that. I wasn't brought up in in a horse racing family, but uh, uh, like I said, it was kind of one of those deals where my dad and I would, you know, play golf in the morning, go to the track in the afternoon. It was a lot of fun back in my my high school and college days. Stuck with it. Uh, got some friends in in the industry, and now I've got a uh, a website, trackphantom.com. Um, a lot of horse racing information, including some analysis information. Uh, also have uh, the all of the historical past performance for every Breeders' Cup out there. And in addition to that, I have uh, I think going back to 1970. I've got every Kentucky Derby past performances out there free. You can go out and, and peruse it. I like to, to look at that just to kind of see some historical trends. But uh, that's that's I've been doing this for a lot of years, and now I've got about 5,000 members on my uh, on my site. So that's where and I'm at. Really good information to uh, went, read through some of your write-ups. So one of them that you had for Keeneland last weekend, and then uh, the two that you have for, uh, for Canterbury coming out. Good information. What I like, too, is it's – it's a lot of people want something written too, versus just some. It's just different kinds of people. Some people want to watch and listen. Some people want to hear or some, and hear it. Some people want to be able to read it and see. And what I like about your stuff is it's it's got good information, but it's not information overload necessarily. It's a good little snippet from of of what you like about the horses, um, the horses to use. You give kind of your A's, your B's, your C selections, how you'd approach exotic. So good amount of information. It's not a, an entire book worth of stuff so it's a good little i think it's a good little middle ground that you found yeah it's it's interesting i've i've uh embarrassingly i've spent a lot of time figuring out how to use the real estate on Mm -hmm. that that sheet and i'm of the opinion that you know as a as a as a horse player 
you're you're balancing a lot of uh, information, a lot of data points at, at very small amounts of time. And so what I try to do with that is try to make it clean, easy to find, easy to understand, but like you say, not not require a whole lot of information. It's funny, I, I, I real quickly, I talked to, uh, I became friends with Steve Davidowitz towards the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died a couple years back, and uh, him and I sat, he, he was the Minneapolis Star Tribune handicapper here in, in, or in Minnesota for three, four years when the track opened, and we, we had talked a little bit about handicapping and all that, and, and it's funny, we, we talked about that very thing, that you know you just you want to keep the information concise, but at the same time, try to find a few nuggets in every race yep. that maybe are not easy to un, uh, identify on the on the Not race. just something that they could see right in the past performances that everybody else can see, kind of a thing, exactly. you know? Exactly. Yeah, yep. that's... One of the people early on in my life told like told me something similar is that hey make sure when you're talking you have something that you're saying that isn't quite exactly like everybody else and I want something that's not on the paper whether it be from a, a replay a trip a chart that you had to look up maybe a pedigree information that's not directly there maybe something you know personally from the connections whatever that may be I see little things like that sprinkled in which I like because you know a lot of these connections as you mentioned from being, especially at Canterbury now from being there for so long you know intent you know stuff that happened at the sales you know stuff that might have been happening with the horse that maybe was entered a, f- a few weeks ago and didn't run so that's what's nice when you cover a racetrack and you cover every race at it and you've done it for a while, you know little things too that you might not find that other people that are just handicapping and and just picking up Canterbury, they might not find. And you're I'm sure you're running into a lot of people like that this year in particular. Talk to us a little bit about what that's been like or or what this year with the low takeout feels like. Does it feel like there's more of an attention and more people are getting involved at Canterbury from from someone on your end who's been playing this track for years? No, no, don't no question about it. Uh, the ten percent takeout is definitely in the in the pick five was definitely a a a, a um, interesting piece for most people because that's the lowest in the in the industry. So you mm-hmm. get a lot of people that are playing that, and that's good. It's the horse players should endorse and support that kind of initiative. Uh, but definitely have been playing it all all year. Been like like I said, I've handicapped Canterbury for going back to the '80s and virtually every race. So. I know the track, you know some, like you say, one of the things that I've noticed about Canterbury, the reason I, I, I handicap a lot of other tracks, Del Mar, Saratoga, a lot of the big ones, but I stick with the, a couple of the tracks I know, Canterbury being one of them. And the reason being is when you're starting the handicapping process, it's good to, to quickly identify where you need to invest your time in yep. handicapping. When you don't know the track, you have to really unearth everything. Mm-hmm. When you do know the track, you could probably toss out a few horses or say, you know what, I need to, to go back and check how the trainer does in this situation because I know that they've had success in the past, blah, blah, blah. But this track definitely is is that for me. I, I got to say it's been a tough, tough run this year in terms of uh, put connecting the dots, which is great for players. Yeah. I mean, the average, average pick five payout. Going into last night was over twenty thousand, and then Ooh. check this out. I don't know if you noticed this, but last night, Monday, July thirteenth, there were in the pick five. It paid thirteen thousand, and check in the the winners of the five races: two to one favorite, two to one favorite, five to two second favorite, four to one third favorite, and then a thirty-one to one puzzler, Sheesh. and it paid thirteen thousand for fifty. Seconds. This is logical in an all, you know, or logical yeah. in a spread race, and it's. We've, you know, I've, I've 
pick I picked up on this Canterbury pick five and I lo- I loved it because I really like Sam Houston and and as a horse player I want to make sure to try to promote the tracks that are doing it right and even if it's a few bucks that get diverted from some people that are listening to my show or maybe that follow on social media and didn't know about it um, I always say. If if you're gonna if you have a bankroll and even if you can take 10, 15, 20 percent of your bankroll to take a small shot at these pick fives every day, they're really worth it because you don't have to hit a ton of them, Dave. It's not like before when when you might have played a track like Canterbury that would that would maybe have some days where it would get chalky or it would be a little easier to hit. There are more people invested now. The this in particular the way the racing has been this year in the schedule. These are deep races. You get some really big fields. You get some big barns chipping in, and then we got a card like this week on Wednesday. Wow, we have a five stakes races card on Wednesday night. You have stakes races in races three, four, five, seven, and eight. We're going to talk about the pick five that starts in race five, and there are three stakes races in that. You have some huge barns coming in. You have you know Ian Wilkes. You got Mike Maker sending a few horses in. You've got Block. Um, you got uh, Florence Giroux who's going to be coming to ride. Uh, you know a, a few of the mounts in the stakes races. So just a huge, massive Wednesday night. And and one of my favorite things about Canterbury too is you, you get you're going to get price days and days where things pay out because of the turf influence. When you get the turf to dirt back and forth in sequences, that's where things can get a little crazy. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, both both days, Wednesday and Thursday. I think the from my vantage point, I thought it was very difficult awesome. to uh, to piece yeah. it together. So I think there are going to be some good prices, and it's certainly Wednesday's card is fantastic. One note I just read literally minutes ago that Florent uh, Giroux uh, has the coronavirus. And it's not going to be, and yeah, we're so we're recording this Tuesday morning, that's a really good point, and I know some tracks are also um, starting to lay down some um, some precautions again, because we've seen now in the last week, week and a half, six or seven very prominent jockeys test positive for this. I think a lot of it maybe sparked or initiated at Los Alamitos a couple of weeks ago. We've seen now Saez, um, Victor Espinoza, Flavian Pratt, among a few others that have test positive. Now, um, as you mentioned, Florent Giroux. So we are starting to see, and so we're assuming now this is Tuesday when we're recording the, the Wednesday and Thursday. So now we'll assume that, uh, that Florent obviously won't be over there and won't be riding. But yeah, that's, that's one thing where horse racing... I think has done a really good job th- throughout this time and where a lot of other sports weren't able to to keep going. But there's one thing it feels like they've got a little bit laxed in the last month or so, and we we we're not seeing some of the more strict um, rules that we saw before. And I have gotten a little sloppy lately with a lot of the travel back and forth from the jocks. And it seems like I think NYRA is laying that down right now. No traveling back and forth. Yep, I just saw that. I just read that as well. Thank you so, for yeah, that. I- Inf- I'm glad you 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 mentioned that right now too. So yeah. really good. Yep. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean the big barn sending in nothing they can do. We we, we figured we were going to see a, a Florent there in a in, in a few races. Nonetheless, just some quality quality horses here, and we kick off the pick five, Dave, in, in race number five at uh, at Canterbury on Wednesday. So if you're following along, get your past performances out. And just a heads up, we are recording this again on on Tuesday morning. So if anything changes between Tuesday into Wednesday evening, we'll let you know. I'll I'll post along on social media if there are scratches or changes or races that change services anything like. That we get things kicked off in the pick five with the uh, the Mystic Lake Derby, hundred thousand dollars, one of the bigger races uh, each and every year at Canterbury, and you have some horses who have been facing Open Company who have been very very competitive. I think at least from a 
Who's going to be really tough in this race standpoint you, We probably have to start at least with Angelus Warrior for Mike Maker Who comes in, he beat first level, uh, level Allowance company at Churchill last time out He's been competitive with Some actual stakes horses A horse like Spanish Kingdom just came back It was only beaten a length in the grade 3 Transylvania So in the pick 5 in this race Is Angelus Warrior a horse Who you need, who you start with um, Give us kind of your approach on, on how many you need on your ticket to get out of this race well, I, I went back and forth on this one. I, I you definitely have to use the four yeah. Angeles yeah. Warrior, no doubt about it. Um, the third and the fifth place finishers of the last race came back to run one two in the uh, Iowa Derby, and as you mentioned, Spanish Kingdom ran well. I mean, it, it, it was, the, the, you know, Maker won this race the last two years uh, with a with both with Ken Ramsey horses. So I, Angeles Warrior, you got to have the horse I actually put on top uh, with very slight conviction is the two Plain Talk. Mac Robertson is traditionally the leading trainer. Uh, Him and Diodoro kind of switch around. Um, I like the way this horse won last time out. Um, It does have a little bit of a sprint pedigree to it. Um, Although if you go back two generations in the the tree, you've got a couple of really big turf horses, parade ground, parade leader, won a lot of turf races. Mac does well at this track. Those Oakland races are pretty good. So I'm going to stick with that horse on top, but you definitely have to have the four. Um, the other horse that I would use or, or is interesting to me is the five, Hondu Lane. This is a half to um, a horse who's in the eighth race today, or uh, Wednesday, honor the hero race. Uh, Chief Sikatraz is the uh, Morning Line second choice in the honor the hero. This is a half to that horse. Neither of those horses have been on the turf, but the, the sire of this one, Mr. Speaker, was all turf, won the uh, Belmont yep. Derby a few years back. Uh, so there's a lot of turf here. That last race, now I didn't beat much in that last race, but boy, was he was he sharp. So I think there's something there on that one. I'm actually looking at the two, uh, the four and the five as must-haves for me. The three is somewhat obvious that, you know, if you're going to add another horse. And then um, I'm going to take a standing as the one and the six here. The, the other two, the seven doesn't have a chance. Well, the one and the six are going to get some action. Uh, the one is Bayo Prospector. I'm against that one, 49 flat that was on the lead last time. That was pretty slow. Hung around. I, I think there's going to get uh, uh, more pressure in this race. But for me, the ones I have to have are two, four, and five, and I might add the three as a fourth option. Good, good, good. So yeah, we're both in agreement that the four isn't a favorite worth trying to beat. Um, I'll I'll lean a little bit more towards the one Bayou Prospector than you, and I'm just hoping that he doesn't. Kind of like what you said, I'm hoping that he doesn't end up on the lead, and I'm hoping that because there are a couple quicker horses in here. I think you know in watching his race because he drew outside and just because they weren't going very fast he kind of broke well and nobody else went and I think he just kind of ended up there and went on with it. I like that he tried even when it seemed like he was headed. I thought at the top of the lane he was just going to back up and and I I was looking at him and thought he was a little cheap at the at the beginning, but then we play that common rival game and you see Dyna Drive who was a horse who actually um outfinished Angelus Warrior and and Bayou Prospector was right behind him too. So um in in this race we we will we will spread out a little bit, which is great for uh, a, for a little bit of a disagreement, not necessarily disagreement, but just for uh, some parity here. And then, um, yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I like the five as a total wild card that I, I think you want to flop in. And then the six, I kind of treat as a wild card too. And I'm I'm curious what he will it will be like on the board. You have a, a really sharp barn like Broberg, and you look at some of the horses he faced; they were okay. And and now he's kind of perked up and been really good. So what? Even though we think Angelus Warrior is the horse to beat. This does not feel like a race where I could single. We've 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 mentioned you know almost the whole field now as horses that you feel like a couple are live. I feel like a couple are live. So these, this is a good pick five race in that 
I, I don't think I could necessarily just say it's just Angeles Warrior for me and move on. So not the not the easiest start in the Mystic Lake Derby. No, not at all. And you know one thing to keep in mind too, um, every race yesterday was one wire to wire. Every single one. Though actually, really there was good one note. race where where a horse was sitting second uh, and then won. But otherwise, every single other race run yesterday, including in the turf, they went wire to wire. So we'll have to watch that again tonight. To see if speed is holding. I do like your angles on the one. I it's it's one of those that I could make a case for or against. Yeah, and you gotta um, just take a stand. I did notice I did notice a Dyna Drive uh common common horse here as well. Let's get to race number six. If you were a pick four player, this is the late pick four. But if you're a pick four player with that ten percent taken on the pick five at Canterbury, I'd always try to convince you to to play the pick five. Even though it's a little harder to hit, it's more worth it. You're gonna hit less of them, you're gonna make a lot more money doing it. Uh, Dave, man, I thought this was a, a a really difficult race for me to have a strong opinion because you start going through the field of eight. I think you can make cases for for many, and and this is a race where you look at the morning line at first glance, and when you only have one horse that's up to double digit odds, and then many others that are are going to take a little bit of action, it, it seems like that race on paper. So, where do you start in the sixth race? Well, this this to me is an impossible race, and I yes. think you know I, I I I when I was creating some tickets, I had all in a, in a few. I had I do six too. Of the yep. eight. Yeah, yep. it's just one of those races where when I try to get clever and get smart, I just I, I just can't. And, and yeah. my, my ticket, my personal ticket, I'll probably take all the two the two horses. If I had to eliminate two horses in this race, they would be the three and the four for me. The three fifteen to one, both of them, uh, you know, have a little bit of back back class both from turf paradise what i don't like about the three is you know this is an 825 i know it was 2017 but this is a 825 thousand dollar sale a horse that was sold for 825k at one point and less than 10 races into its career it's already in for a tag it can win but i'm going to take a stand against that that one and the four uh you know villa franco and and danny caldwell got a lot of horses at canterbury this year they haven't done well they have four claims previous to this uh, all four were beat. Only one hit the board, and uh, two, three of the four were under two to one. So I, I don't like uh, the claim against uh, taking away from Silva, who's having a big meet and in high percentage. So, but either, but in both those cases, I think they both can run here. The horse I've got on top is the two. Very slight conviction here as well. Uh, go away. I think there's going to be a lot of speed in the race. Going to come from off the pace. I like the races it comes out of. But you know, to be honest with you. I can't give much clever here. I just it's it's a tough race, and I think you got to go very deep. Yeah, you 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 know we're we're similar in that um, when I'm like eliminating horses, or I try to put them in order of how I like them the most, and I have as my top horse I horses like six, one, and five. So I was against sort of against the the, the couple that you meant being against, in, in that I'm going to play all on at least one or two tickets. Um, I, I think the six Mr. Benz is worth throwing in. I like the fact that this guy, he was really good last year. He won five in a row and he was actually favored over cleared the mind when they faced each other at Zia. And then he, he just, things just got bad for him. He had five straight races where he just did not run well. He burned some money and then he went to the bench for six months. He came back last time out. I thought he actually ran really well. He broke well. He settled fourth. He was inside. And then he got outrun a little bit. Then he started to make up ground really nicely. He got to within a couple lengths at the top of the lane. At the top of the lane, but he was chasing a, 
um, a Lone Speed winner that day. So Mr. Benz, I think, is worth including. Professionals, interesting horse for uh, for Diodoro, who he he got the lead last time out, but they were going slow. He's not a horse that's, that's going to be on the lead in here or need the lead. I thought the one could sit from the inside. Those were three horses who I I to me I kind of felt I, I at least needed in this race. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm. I'm not in love with Central Park who You know at a price I wouldn't really talk you off I'm not in love with Jerry's Pride and Joy If you be, if you played this horse Last time out man he looked Like a winner he he spit out About a three length lead maybe a hundred yards For home it was a brutal beat he got Just run down by so alive Last time out so I just I don't Really love That race a ton so yeah I think this is spread out And when you spread out we want to use prices So I, we're probably it seems like we're sort of against the, some of the shorter prices in here. Yeah, uh, you make a good uh, case for Mr. Benz. I like that horse a lot here. Unleashed the Beast, who beat him last time. Came back to win again yesterday. Three wins in a yeah. row for that one. Really sure. Um, if you look back, that race two back uh, for Mr. Benz, 12 wide in yep. that race. And then had some trouble, uh, traffic trouble in, in, in race the previous. No question, this horse is live and must is a must-use. But again, from my perspective, I think you could you could make a case for virtually everybody mm-hmm. and Probably going to have an all ticket going here Absolutely agree on that because I, I feel like In the last couple at least in my Opinion and how I'm looking at it I can I can Shorten up and feel a little more confident shorting up, Shortening up in those races than at least in These first couple um, We get to the Lady Canterbury Mile on the turf course in race number seven And the The horse to to start with In here will probably be uh, to, to discuss is, is winning envelope for Chris Block who comes in after uh, being a runner-up against First Level Allowance Company or against Allowance Company, sprinting over at Churchill, going five and a half, and was in. You see a couple of efforts against Graded Stakes Company, and this is a horse who's faced really nice company. The the only problem with her, I, I feel like she's a real nice standout on paper. She's got really quality races. She just has no speed whatsoever, and it, it's hard sometimes to single in or key in on a horse who's going to be coming from way out of it. This track doesn't really play, even the turf track doesn't play um, to deep closers like this. Now, this horse could easily, she could easily mm-hmm. win this race. Yep. Um, you know, no question she's got some back class here. But this, this interestingly, Lady Canterbury, for those that follow Can- uh, Minnesota Racing, will know this. Lady Canterbury has been run 27 times. There have been four favorites that have won over the years. And some of the biggest long shots, KZ Bay back in 97, won at 30. I think they've had three or four 30-to-1 winners in this race. And I think you're going to see a price here as well. I do think winning envelope is an obvious player. But the horse that, probably the horse that I'm going to, my whole day is going to center around is number 10, Streak of Luck. It's a California shipper here. Um, You know, going back, I think it's such an evenly matched race. But this one has been facing better those those yep. races in california are better uh for example the race that comes out of um i'm sorry the race two back i think it was let me look let me check here um it ran in front of a grade one winner that what what race was that uh you know keeper of the keeper of the stars yep. yeah that was yep. in the i think the three back race three the mega, back race the megahertz yep. or the franklin yep yep who, of course for wong who's become really good now mm-hmm. yeah and so that one was fifth in that race came back to win a grade one super patriot just ran over the last the weekend ran second in the the oc uh Sinatus. um i i'm gonna go with this one i you know they had this horse entered in a stakes race at indiana last wednesday yep. 
and they scratched, and I think they're looking for the right spot. And I do think that this, while the well, winning envelope is a deep closer, this one's going to come off the pace too, but I think it's a little more tactical in this yes. spot. Yes, it's uh, a jump. Yep. Hooked a and horse I, named Dog Tag, who's pretty sharp, who's won a, who had won a couple starts in a row too, streak of luck. Yep. So, yeah, so this is, you know, if, if I go beyond the 10, streak of luck, I, I can make a case for a lot of horses in the race. I do think winning envelope is the most likely uh, secondary ad. I got Beach Flower as my third choice here. Yep. This one won this race last year, 10 to 1. And even that last year, six-horse field, 10 to 1 shot, won this race, coming a little bit off the pace uh, last year. Uh, she's not quite the same horse as she was when she won it last year, but I can make some excuses for the recent starts. Mm-hmm. Again, you got Mac Robertson, who's been using this rider, uh, Chirinos, quite a bit uh, this year. And then the the horse that I'd like to make a spot for, um, probably a cut below, but I'm looking at at the one first made, two for two on the turf. Yeah. You know, 80 buyer last time out, one by neck on the turf. That was a decent Minnesota bred race. And ready to run away isn't is good on the turf, but that's a quality animal that she beats. Yeah. So you're not talking about just necessarily beating up on maybe a softer group of Minnesota breads. No, it, it's I do think she's just a slight cut below, and I think that if I was going to start eliminating horses, I'd have to probably start there. But and, and the other thing is, you know, uh, the the rider who was up is now riding uh, uh, Beach Flower, so yep. get, gets off that one. But you know that he rides for Max, so that's kind of expected. I just think there's something here, and that was a good quality win last time. The, the race two back, the Lady Slipper was clearly a prep for the turf. I mean, the way she ran, she kind of kind of chunked up into it for third and then came back to win there. So I think there's something there. But, you know, it, it, you, there's others in this race, too. So I'm going to get skinny on my main ticket. I'm going to probably have a ticket where I single the 10, and then the other ticket that I play, I'll probably go with the 1, 2, uh one two five or i'm sorry yeah one two where is winning envelope one two eight and ten so yeah one, single and ten and then one two eight ten for me i i think the two last year's winner super capable and then you, you know you just run into a couple horses on the dirt at, at oakland that are better than you in some races ah emma motion emotion latruska come out of that i don't think there's any shame in in those races and you're probably uh you know a little little seasoned facing some tougher competition there now you get back to the grass where you've done well so i, I think the twos you use feels the same about winning envelope it's not a horse that i want to I want to completely chuck out of my tickets unless you, you know, you're going to do a, a strong single approach on one or two, like, like you're doing with the 10 streak of luck. But I think she's definitely beatable in here. Streak of luck will be on my tickets. Also, I think for the perfect reasons that you mentioned, she's got a little class, but she can maybe just get that tactical jump on winning envelope. The one that you didn't mention that I will uh, uh, talk a little bit about is the seven aunt Hattie who takes the blinkers off. So she was at Churchill Downs last time out and she just had some trouble. A couple starts back, she also had some trouble. Three back, she was behind a horse named She's on the Warpath, who you see in some of the common uh, running lines. And she actually ran really well that day behind that animal. She's the type that she might not be quite as good when you're just playing off of numbers and figures as maybe the top tier in here is maybe a winning envelope or even what a horse like Streak of Luck could get. But she's another one who... She has races where she doesn't have to be too far out of it. If she's sitting in a nice spot, she could fall into it. And I, and if she does that, I definitely think she's good enough to win if she gets the right trip. So maybe the seven on some tickets as well. But um, yeah, fun a fun renewal of the Lady Canterbury here in race number seven. Um, let's get to the eighth race, Dave. We have the honor of the hero here. 
They're going to be going quick in this one It is a five furlong turf sprint The horse you mentioned, Chief Cicatriz Who's going to be uh, trying the turf for the first time Drawn to the outside He loves to win races He's earned over 500000 He's a 14-time winner He's going to have to worry about Well Able, though Who is as quick as you'll find Big-time speed Third off the long layoff Two starts back, he was third behind a horse named Leinster, and we just saw Leinster come back to win the Grade Two Shaker Town. So we're talking about nice running lines too for Well Abled. Some quality horses in this group. Yeah, no doubt. And and the race does run through the six. Well Abled here. I mean, a lot of speed. You got a couple hundred six, hundred seven buyers. You know, like you mentioned, uh, been facing much tougher. You know, they, they, not much to say here other than. You're talking about a horse that's going to be on the lead on a track that has been uh, favoring speed. You got a good rider on it, so obviously use there. Uh, the the chief, chief Cicatraz is. Uh, I could see taking to either stand here, either playing it. I've got it on top, but I can actually see throwing it out as well. Never been on the turf. I will say this. Interestingly, I went back and looked uh, in the history of this horse. This this trainer uh, Davis has actually publicly worked this horse on the turf five times. In its career, and and all the works were pretty sharp, including one I think he had just recently. Yeah, about June seventeenth, a forty-seven flat drill on the on the this turf course. Um, no, no question was cl- he's classy. Uh, he did get you know the running lines in last where it says he boxed six wide. Wasn't quite as as dramatic as maybe the running line says. I, I was I was slightly underwhelmed with his run there. I think Mister Jagermeister, all-time uh, winningest Minnesota bred, no, no disgrace in losing to that horse. Uh, although he came back and I thought he was a little bit flat in one of the stakes mm-hmm. races earlier this this year. So I, I, I'm kind of torn on Chief, Chief Cicatraz. I like both of those horses, uh, the favorites there. The horse that uh, um, I want to get on my tickets, I got the four Lawton for third. But the one I want to find a spot for is a horse that I've been chasing for quite a while. Is number seven, Fireman Oscar. This horse won, uh, won actually won this race last year at 25 to 1. Now that was off the turf. It was on a sloppy track. But, you know, he's just sitting on a big race. You know, in the in the race I just mentioned where, where Mr. Jaegermeister was slightly flat, that was the 10,000 legs. This one was third in that race, two back, and got really tight on the rail. In fact, I almost thought there might have been an inquiry on Mr. Jaegermeister. Came over and kind of kept him in tight on the rail. They left it as is, and I thought there was a little more to offer there. Last time out, not a bad run. Those are two pretty decent Minnesota Reds, uh, Cinco Star and Drop a, a Golden Sun. I thought it was a decent run. I think five furlongs is a good spot for him. I think I would I would use him. But for my tickets, I'm going to go with the two the two favorites here. So that would be um, well able to six and the nine, and I'm going to add in the four Lawton and the seven Fireman Asker. Yeah, I think uh, we we literally have the same four we'll be using on some. I'll probably play a ticket or two where I single well abled and then go a little deeper in the others. I think there's a very good chance he could just run them off their feet. Some of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, facing tougher and and going five, I think is a big help for him too. Even you know he, he can go five and a half or stretch it out to six if he wants to, but going five where he can just really wing it. Um, you have some, some question marks with Chief Shikatris from the outside who might not have been at at his absolute best last time out. And who's going to try the turf for the first time So yeah, probably play one ticket where I single the six Probably play another where I use the four that you mentioned And just to, you know, you know, Lawton, Lawton what I like about um, him is He's got enough speed to stay close But he can pass horses You see horses like Real News And some some actual real quality ones that he's faced uh, So he he's not a horse who I worry about getting outrun And I like 
the, I really like the way Alonzo Quinones has been riding As someone who plays a lot of Southern California I've watched Alonzo for a lot of years And he he struggled the last couple of years Whether it was just getting the right mounts he needed And then what ends up, you know how it goes Dave you, You're not getting the right mounts And then you start losing races And then your confidence starts to go a little bit So maybe you're not riding as well as you should And you need a change in scenery sometimes And he's he's been riding really, really well at Canterbury so far this meet Definitely has I think it's his... Uh... Brother uh, is Luis Cunonas, Mm -hmm. who won the riding title at Canterbury five years in a row in the late 90s. Um, So, yeah, he is definitely riding well. And and you're right. The confidence is there. Uh, He's a definitely uh, he's not a rider that I would, you know, look to and say, hey, I got to use him because he's on the horse. But he's he's someone where if I see he's on the horse, I have no problem using the seven fireman. Exactly. He doesn't get you off a horse. Right. And as a, as a and and that's kind of nice as betters who we want because we we don't we don't necessarily want the horses who are going to be over bet and maybe take a lot of that jockey action sometimes. So when you're in somebody when you feel like you're in capable hands of someone who's between a fifteen to twenty ish percent rider, that's always very nice. And he's he's been doing a really good job so far. So perf- I think you, you mentioned it perfectly. You, you just don't feel like you're going to get off a horse once he's aboard. Okay, let's close things out on Wednesday's card. We're we're into race number nine. We're four for four at this point, Dave. Hopefully, we're trying to close this pick five sequence. How many horses do you want in this last race to close it out? Spent a lot of time on this one, uh, just trying to figure out if I need more than the three and the four. The three polar cents, my top yep. choice. The four biscot uh, biscottini is my second choice, and I decided I'm going to stick with just those two. And and you know my my logic here is. Polar Sense out of the dam, or by, uh, yeah, out of the dam. Polar Plunge was a stakes runner at Canterbury for I think these owners. Um, she's run well. That race um, last out, the, the third place finisher, uh, Siggy Cricket, came back to win by seven or eight lengths, uh, maiden special at Prairie Meadows. And I actually bet that race. I remember the race. It was a, I bet against her. I thought it was a decent race, and she just crushed there as the favorite. So that, that race has turned out to be okay. Um, you go back two race, races at Will Rogers. Uh, there's been three runners out of that race, the Will Rogers race, that have come back to win. Uh, two of the three won maiden special weight races at Canterbury. So that has been a live race. Look, Key uh, races. Well. Yeah. Yep. Now the four, and- Biscatini, you know, 16,000 claimer last time out, nine to five second choice. I looked at the replay there. This, it says stumble badly to start. It was legitimately a bad stumble. And uh, so she ran, kind of ran around the track, didn't have much of a chance after that. Golden Gate form uh, prior to that. So those are the two I'm going to stick with. I'm just going to go those two. I can understand where people might look at the Diodoro shipper from Golden Gate. He hasn't actually done very well with with uh, Southern or Northern California shippers into Canterbury. Although, you know, that is a, this is a drop in class, so you got to consider that. But for my tickets, I'm going to stick with the three and the four. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to try to get too cute in this race either. I'm going to probably play one ticket where I single the four. I'm going to probably play another ticket where I just use the three that you mentioned, the logical three, three, four, nine. Um, I think the first three races felt much more like races where I'll try to get cute in the sequence and take some swings. The last two races felt like races where I think you can shorten up with some of the logicals in here. Uh, you mentioned Biscatini, who just never got a shot. Last time out she did legitimately miss that break It was a brutal start she was down to her nose She was 10 lengths off And then she ends up last chasing a wire to wire winner And 
She ends up losing a photo for fourth that day. So I, I just think there's a lot of improvement to be to be had with her. And I, I was just like, I was doing exactly what you said. I, I could picture the two of us just kind of banging our heads against the table, looking for some other prices in this race. I just couldn't get there. I really couldn't make many cases for any of the longer shots. I wanted to try to make a case for a horse like the six, but I think there's going to be some other speed in here. And I don't know if it's going to shape up all that well for the six. So. Yeah, I think I would have to you I, I wanted same thing. I wanted to try to make cases for the for the eight, but I'm a little concerned that she gets kind of caught up in that pace battle with a few others. So I like the three and the four with the opportunity to sit off. I prefer the four, I think a little bit more. And then the nine would be my next horse if I wanted to go a little bit deeper. So yeah, a lot of similarities with uh, with how we look at this sequence, but um for me at least, if you're out there and you're someone who wants to play a smaller ticket, maybe you can't play big. I definitely would shorten up in the last two races, and if you're just playing on a normal bankroll, it would—that's how I would be. I'd, I'd kind of go maybe a little deeper, or not even necessarily deeper, but maybe taking a little more shots in the first half of this pick five than versus the second half. Definitely agree. And and one thing to, to keep in mind, uh, my, my sheets are free this year, partnership with Canterbury. Uh, so anybody that goes to my site can get the sheets for free, and I've got actually uh, pick five suggestion in uh, one 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 ticket on Wednesday, and then two on Thursday. Um, and I agree with you 100. percent I will say that I would. I think the the prices are probably going to come from the first, few, first two or three races, and try to get as as deep as you can in those races, and then skinny out later. Dave, uh, give the folks again um, the information. Where can we find all your stuff? Where can we follow you along on social media? Um, everything. And then yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this, and we're gonna go and do Thursday too, because I'm gonna get I'm gonna double dip. I'm gonna take advantage of you while I got you here. We're gonna do Wednesday <laughs> and Thursday. Yep, uh, trackphantom.com. You can uh, there's a tab there, analysis tab. You can see what tracks are upcoming. Just click on that. You'll go to the storefront. You enter the the, the promotional code, coupon code that's listed right there, and you'll get the sheets for free for Canterbury. Uh, I'll, we'll have Saratoga and Del Mar uh, later this week as well. But in uh, social media, Twitter, Track Phantom at Track Phantom uh, out there quite a bit, and I also do give some of the plays out there as well. Dave, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Folks, make sure to give him a follow. You heard from here. A really great handicapper, knows his stuff. And in particular, at a place like Canterbury, he'll really help kind of steer you to some horses or maybe some information that you just might not know. Dave, thank you so much. Um, and like I said, those who are listening to this and who listen for the Thursday stuff, they're going to hear your voice again in just a second. Thanks, Gino. Take a quick break, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back with uh, with much more racing. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. 
and you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Big thanks to Dave for coming on and talking some Canterbury with us. Uh, we're going to talk uh, Canterbury Thursday in the Pick 5 a little bit later on this episode. Now we're going to get to Stable Duel for Wednesday. So if you haven't been playing Stable Duel, you've heard me talking a, a bit uh, about it. What is Stable Duel? Okay, Stable Duel is a fantasy horse racing contest. But what, what do we mean by fantasy? It's have you played... Daily fantasy sites. If you're someone who plays daily fantasy, you've probably played a DraftKings or a FanDuel or something like that. Okay, what Stable Duel is, is you have a lineup that you have to complete that is selecting 10 horses. And you have a salary cap of $50,000 that you can use to pick out those 10 horses. Based on what horses' morning line odds are, that's how much they're going to cost you to get. And you get points in every race if your horse finishes in the top five. And then you get points for, you know, how many lengths they are in that position. So you can get a little bonus points if your horse wins and then wins by six, seven, you know, crushes. It is a ton of fun. You can play in contests for five bucks, ten bucks. They've had twenty dollar, fifty, and a hundred dollar contests so far. But there's always a five or a ten dollar contest, so some of the smaller players can get involved. So maybe someday we're you don't have a ton of money You're waiting on a paycheck You would love to play a few more races But you don't want to only put 10 bucks in Because you're going to be worried about where to bet it Or how you're going to be able to you know, to play it What's cool is if for a 5 or $10 entry You can build your lineup of 10 horses And you can watch you know 10 races all throughout the day And that's all it takes it's, it's, You don't have to, to make 15 or 20 lineups to win it is a blast. I've had a lot of fun doing it. If you're still a little confused or maybe you have some questions, feel free to reach out to me. You know how to get in touch with me on social media, on Twitter, add it to me, Gino B, over on Facebook.com slash Gino Bacola. Love, uh, love helping anybody out there. And I'm, I'm playing in a ton of these contests. I had a tough beat last week. I, I finished second and just missed winning. And I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one really soon. And maybe... It's on Wednesday So here are the Wednesday contests They have Gulfstream Park Contest And an Emerald Downs Contest And they're only $5 and $10 uh, entry fees So 
If you want to get involved, Wednesday's a good opportunity to, you know, you can check out some of the the races, you can handicap, you can try it for 5 or 10 bucks and see if it's something that that you like. I I guarantee when you do it, you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. It is fun to pay attention and see where your your stable is, how you're moving up the leaderboard. Did you get points that? Where does my horse finish? You're you're paying attention a lot more to third fourths and even fifths, and then then maybe you would be if you were just playing a pick four or a pick five or win wagers. So, I it it goes really fun with your gambling and your your other gambling and handicapping, and it can I think be a really great. Um, way to get some action if you don't have a, a whole lot of money and maybe you just want to get involved for a few bucks. So download the app, Stable Duel. Check it out right now. If you have any questions, let me know. So here's what we're going to talk about for Wednesday over at Gulfstream Park on uh, J- July the 15th. We are going to go through building our lineup in the process. So in race number one, there are a couple different horses I would look to uh, that I'd be okay with using. They would be the the seven are Miranda Sophia. Who's going to be adding the blinks And going to be cutting back a little bit Trying the grass They try to get this one on the grass a couple different times I think she's going to improve a little bit in here And then the two are Little Devil Those would be the two I look to use Miranda Sophia would be for 3000 If you want to spend up a little bit more Our Little Devil would be 6500 So that that's the way this works It's like a salary cap So out of your $50,000 if you spend on Miranda Sophia, that's going to take 3000 off your salary cap. If you spend on Our Little Devil, that's going to take 6500 off your salary cap. What are things you're trying to do in here? For me, I'm always trying to kind of sniff out horses that I think are going to get bet down. Because if that's the case, if we feel like the morning line is a little bit off, we don't, we're not going to get penalized or there's no readjustment if the horses get bet down. So a horse who's Five to one on the morning line, and that goes off at six to five. That gives us a really big advantage because we're getting a six to five shot that we paid not nearly what we'd have to normally pay for a six to a six to five type horse in in a contest like this. So you're looking for who's going to get bet down a little bit in each race. Um, so we move to race number two at Gulfstream on Wednesday. And I'll look to two different horses in here The three acting lucky, obviously Adding the blinkers I Just had, had, had a tough start So hopefully the in both both races So hopefully the blinkers will help her get a little bit more focused She just had a, a brutal trip Last time out, I think the five Showing some speed in the debut Now dropping in class, I expect her to be A little bit better in here too Making career start number two So I'll be using the five who world gone wild? Who's sixty five hundred? I'll be using the three acting lucky. If you want to spend up a little bit more at eight thousand, Stormy Jess is eighty five hundred. That's the top, um, the top price in the race. The five to two morning line favorite, but that's a first time starter. I'd prefer a horse with just a little bit of experience in this spot. So those would be the the two that I look to uh, to use in race number three at Gulfstream Park. Two horses that jump out to me. The six, a beautiful day who would cost you five thousand. A beautiful day did have some legitimate trouble on June the twenty-first, and she's been overall really, really consistent. She's got some speed, but she can sit and pass some horses if she has to. So I'll be using her. She's you know not going to cost you a whole ton at, at just five thousand. My Miss Macho, if you want to spend a little bit more uh, at seven thousand, I'm I'm okay with the either one of them. I'll probably use different combinations of those two in a couple of my lineups. Race number four, few horses that I'll look to: the two, the seven, and the three. The two, five thousand, causing a hullabaloo. First timer for Cassie, 
very logical. The three Gulf Coast gal, Nix is really good with the, these two-year-old firsters. And then the seven, frankly, my dear, has some experience and ran a really good race first time out. So Gulf Coast gal would cost you seven thousand. Frankly, my dear would cost you eight thousand. I'm I'm okay if you want to go with the causing a whole blue with the with the five grand there for the the deuce. We move to race number five. I think I'll probably just end up using the five, get the money Bernie in here, who's going to get to the grass. He showed speed in both. He just doesn't face a a group of any monsters in here. If he has any kind of an effort similar to that debut race, he's just going to be tough. And I think you're going to get a good run for your money because he's got the ability to show some speed, but he kind of sat and did pass in that debut race. So let's use the five, get the money Bernie. Get the money Bernie is going to cost us 7,500 in here. In race number six, there are two horses that I'll look to. The So I don't think you have to spend up for one of the top two in here. I do like City Bike on the drop, second off the bench. This is a horse who debuted for Maiden 20s. And it feels like this is a big drop, but she broke her Maiden for Maiden 15s at Sam Houston. I actually think this is a really nice spot. For the six city bike, the one Ms. Chaplin. If you want to go a little cheaper in this race and spend three thousand, I'm I'm okay with the one. So I'll be using the six city bike at seven thousand. The one Ms. Chaplin. Let's move to race number seven. Start your late pick four at Gulfstream in the uh, the seventh race. I'm looking at the two Super Courage, uh, the three inside horses I like. You know, if you're playing any exotics and stuff. But as far as setting your your stable dual lineups, Super Courage at only a thousand, I think coming out of some of the open claiming races, it will get you a really nice run for your money and pick you up some points here. The one over the channel from the inside, you look back to some of those open races, only and then only beating a neck last time out in a really similar spot should be even sharper today. The one they'll probably all have to beat is the horse who won in a similar spot on June the nineteenth. And that was till the end. So I would be two one three. I like the two, obviously, because you know you only have to spend a thousand on super courage. The one over the channel, maybe you want to go to that next level or tier. That would be up at six thousand. And then till the end, if you have the opportunity to spend up, that would be seventy five hundred. In race number eight, there would be three that I would look to uh, to build some of my lineups uh, around. I think we might be able to steal one here with Poppy's Destiny. Who is fifteen to one on the morning line? Will only cost you uh, five hundred. This guy was favored last time out against sixty five hundred non twos. Two back, he was third. Uh, he didn't he, last last time. He kind of had an in between trip, and then they went six and a half, and now he's cutting back to six furlongs. Two starts back at six furlongs against sixty five hundred non twos. He was third in in what was a pretty similar race. I think he's he's more like a you know. 6-8 to 1 shot Then he feels like a 15 to 1 shot in here He has enough speed to at least stay close Yeah, Poppy's Destiny Let's use the 6 in some in some spots and Only going to cost you 500 bucks The 9 Robin's Blind Deal That would be You want to You know, you want to spend up a little bit more That would be the next tier I would go up to Lightly raced with some upside Finally able to put two starts together We didn't see this one from August of 2019 To June of 2020 And then Now she'll you know, He's got to be a little bit better in here And then the 12 Would be the other one The big joker Get some outside speed from the 12 
Another one is not going to cost you a whole ton. It would only be three thousand off of your uh, off your salary cap. We move to race number nine at Gulfstream Park. Couple that we'd be looking to. The number five, this is my time, sixty five hundred. The number six, Lori Pot, Laura Loopies. Looking for a, a third in a row. If you want to spend up, that's a lot though. Ninety six hundred is a lot to spend. Where you're taking off almost twenty percent. Of your salary cap right away You have to feel like you're really really confident If you're going to spend up I'd always much rather spread around a little bit And use some more middle priced horses Unless it's a real short race Maybe it's an entry Or a horse who I just feel like has a major pace advantage Remember if they hang around and finish second and third That's fine You you just want some points You can't go over with the horse you spend on And then in race number 10 to close things out A couple that I would look to I do think the 9 is very logical If you have the opportunity to spend up To, to close out That would be nice The one case Funhouse though He has some consistent Not bad races Over at Tampa On the grass The last two are not that bad It's actually your beaten favorite last time out And now goes from the maiden 25s Down to the maiden 12 fives so the one would only cost you a thousand. The nine would only would be ninety two hundred. If you want something maybe in the middle, uh, power would be the other one I'd go to. But that one's going to cost you seventy five hundred as well. So I'll probably be looking a lot to you uh, towards using the the one K's Funhouse second Wednesday contest for Stable Duels over at Emerald Downs. So let's get a uh, let's get over to Emerald Downs for Wednesday. Get your past performances out. And we can talk about the uh, the Emerald card and, and how it fits um, as far as a, via stable duel Let's get to race number one There are two that I would look to in here Gold supply is going to cost you 8000 Yeah, that that's a lot But in these small fields at Emerald You're going to have to spend up in a couple different races And then really take a shot in a couple others Because some of these races you're, you just are forced to spend up The four would be the other one I look to If you don't want to go quite that rich early on Find element on the drop in class I think gold supply second time off the bench Second time for the new connections And got a good run over the track I would go 2 and 4 there 2 at 8,000 The 4 fine element at 5,000 And the second race Barkley could absolutely win He's no doubt the class of this field But as far as having to spend up and pay $9,800 on race 2 And, and you know take that big Chunk off of your your salary cap and, and what you can spend. I'd much prefer using the two Rally Cat, who's seventy five hundred. The four Grinder Sparks a Glow, who's eight thousand. When you have a horse like Barkley coming off a long layoff like that, now you're getting the seven. You just never really know. So making the first start of the year, I would lean a little bit elsewhere. So maybe Rally Cat, maybe Grinder Sparks a Glow who got the race under the the belt recently. He might be the one that I even lean a little more towards for uh you know 8000 as I mentioned. You are going to have to spend up in a few of these races. Race number 3, there are two horses I'd look to. The one Smoothie Lee, I think you can give an excuse for that last start It was the first start since September And he's got a little bit of speed from the inside If he gets close, he's going to be early He's going to be tough with with the race and the fitness level now under his belt So the three would be the other one I, I would also include Doss Bear, who comes out of that really live race 
um, behind next out winning Omachi Kid. Would be three and one. The the three Dos Bears eighty five hundred. The one Smoothie Lee five thousand. Depending on where you stand, those would be the two that I'm looking at to use in a, in some way, shape, or forms in my lineups. In race number four, two horses that I'd be looking to were the nine and the seven. So Zima's Honor has the experience and got you know bumped around a little bit. I think figured some things out in that debut. I'm expecting the nine to. Be able to beat a couple of others in here Who I don't know if they had legitimate excuses The 7 would be the, the first time starter That I think is going to be really tough And wouldn't have to be a monster To beat this group at all So what's nice is the 9 would only cost you seven fifty If you want to use And the 7, Miss Valor, if you want to spend up That first timer would cost you 8500 Race number 5 at Emerald Looking to the 3 Tig, who would be 5,000 This is a second timer who debuted against Maiden 25s, but this is Not a really strong Maiden special weight Group, so I'm, I'm not worried about Stepping up from a group of Maiden 25s To a Maiden special weight group The two, Mosquito Fleet Got the race under the belt, showed some Speed, Mosquito Fleet would cost you 7,500 and Tig would cost You 5,000 Second half of the card begins in Race number 6 with uh, Two that I would look to and neither will break your bankroll Having to uh, to to get through this sixth race I think we could use the four Shelby R Who's going to get off the rail after uh, back-to-back tries Where she might have been a little forced She could be able to sit a little bit uh, ni- more nicely here And maybe a little more relaxed Then the one, a good snicker for a really sharp barn right now And this tab looks good I think I think she's ready to rock from the rail If she can just navigate that inside post both would cost you 5000 In race number 7 It would be the number 5 Seattle Smoke Who I'm expecting to to get a little bit of a, a setup in here With a couple speeds to chase And and then crest drive if, if that's not the patient, the scenario This might be one of the quicker ones Who has the opportunity to just steal this group On the, the drop back after trying the 5000 claimers last out 5 Seattle Smoke, only three grand. The one Crest Drive, five grand in here. So not a race that I feel like you'd have to spend up to have a shot. Race number eight. The number seven, winning bluff, is gonna go second off that long, long layoff and drop in class. I think that's the horse to beat in here. And five only the high road flat really good speed. And uh, this horse battled Really tried hard all the way around the track Only the high road With the race under the belt and the wheel back Pretty quickly in just a couple weeks 7-5 for me in race number 8 So the 7 winning bluff at 6,500 The 5 only the high road At 5,000 In race number 9 Would look to The 8 Vincente's Shadow who would cost you 6000 I think if you just toss the synthetics All of a sudden his form looks a lot better And The 6 would be the other one Wine at 9 The problem is this one's going to cost you 8500 But He does seem to be a, a pretty Consistent Runner in a race that Has a lot of question marks with, with recent form and then to close things out in race number 10 There would be two, uh, a couple look at So Wine at 9 would be 8,500 Vicente Shadow, 6,000 in the ninth. And in race number 10 
the two Prince of Luck, only a thousand. It's always nice when you can try to end, you know, short. You get some of the points out of the way, or do you want to go with the other approach where you want to have a, a horse who you feel really confident in at the end, and, but maybe you, you don't get enough points to even get there? So, the two Prince of Luck, at least he's shown some speed, and he's shown some sprint speed. He won last time out, it was back in September, but this is not a strong group at all. The six would be the other one who is now going to go second time for Lucarelli, second time over the Emerald Racetrack. I think the six is going to improve in here on the dropping class from 5,000 to the 2,500s. So it'd be the two, Prince of Luck, and it'd be the six as the peppered appeal. For 7,000, Prince of Luck would only cost you 1,000 there. That's Emerald Downs for that Stable Duel Wednesday contest. If Don't forget, if you have any questions about Stable Duel, how to build your lineup, horses to use, what does this mean, some strategy stuff, please reach out to me. I'd love to help you out. Opening day at Saratoga is on Thursday, July the 16th. Very happy to have Saratoga running. Although I do gotta preface this with say and admit that because of some circumstances, shipping in, horses, connections, travel, all sorts of different things, we don't have the strongest opening day card as far as depth, um, even race quality. There are there are a couple opinions that I, I do have and we'll we'll start things out and so the the stronger opinions I have are a little bit later on in the card and uh, we'll spend obviously a little more time on those races. If you're a pick five player in race number one at Saratoga on Thursday. So get your past performances out. We're looking July the 16th. There would be three horses I look to use. The four, Sergeant Drive, who's, you know, taking a sizable drop in class. The guy, the six guy, Caballero, who I think is the one to beat. So maybe even if you wanted to shorten up, I'd be okay with those two. Jerome Avenue, another one dropping in class. So, I mean, I'm not giving you anything crazy. Like I said, I don't, I don't love a whole ton early, but I'll probably play a pick five and in the second race, I would look to the seven horse. Now, he completely missed the break. And he ended up about eight, nine off of it. You know, he's about eight or nine lengths off. He was inside. He moved through, but then he was in a tight spot. He had to back out of it. He lost the length and he lost momentum. He makes a four wide bid at the top of the lane. I am expecting more today. From the number seven in race number two, Magic Mojo seven. Um, I would use the one as a major top player contender. Obviously, the blinkers coming on in here. I think the six horse, logical. The ten would be another one I would use, and the eight. So seven on top, seven one six ten eight. I'll be using in the pick five. Probably going to go 2-3-4 in race number 3. Figure of speech is likely going to sit for Chad. Looking how this race projects on paper, the 3 is is big speed. The outside runner is big speed. But the 5 can probably sit a little bit in here. I actually think the 4 is the horse that's going to get the best trip. You can cross out the race behind Gaming last time out. Prior to that, two good efforts. One where she got the lead, but I don't think she'll get the lead in here. I like the effort prior to that where she sat off the pace a bit. That's the kind of trip that I'm envisioning. So I'm going to use the four on top. We will use 
the two figure of speech who's going to try to sit off the pace a little bit now going second off the bench and the three maybe uh, wins the battle of the paces i'd be okay going 2 3 4 in race number 3 in the fourth race i'm looking to the 7 who is going to be trying the dirt but she's training fine on the dirt she comes out of a good race in, in her debut she was behind uh, a next out winner and a horse who's a uh, multiple stakes winner the five, the blinkers coming off today. For horse who's, who's shown some ability, when we have question marks about a lot of these, it, the the four hasn't raced in a while, the three hasn't raced in a while, so we, we have questions about a, a major contenders or the horses who have run well. The five has some recency. Blinks coming off, so seven five three. I would I would include the three, who flashed some speed in that debut. At least you know you'll get some speed there. The six I'd also give a look to. Another one who just deserves a shot trying the dirt. There just are not. There's nothing in here that I'm scared of. I'll take a couple chances. So I would probably be three five six and seven in race number four, and then in race number five. To me, it comes down to the five dark money, the three or the eight, the caretaker. I think the three Casmania, maybe a little more underneath, but I think dark money is is a great spot for this New York bred who's beaten Open Company recently. Just beat first level allowance Open Company. Now back in with New York breds, he's got speed. He can sit a little bit. He's fine if it's on an off race track. He likes the six for a long trip. I think the caretaker is a little bit better going longer. So six and a half or seven would be better for him. Whereas Dark Money is going to be best right here at six furlongs. The five would be my single in the early pick five. So I'd play something like four, six, seven with one, six, seven, eight, ten, with two, three, four, with three, five, six, seven, with five. That's early pick five. The opinion gets a little bit stronger coming up in the late pick five. So I'll start in race number six with the six no bad days, who will try the grass for the second time. The first time that he tried the grass, though, he faced a really tough group. He was going along in a loaded race with four next out winners. The winner that day was Decorated Invader, who we know is a monster. And he, this this runner, No Bad Days, has two winning turf siblings. He's going to drop a notch from maiden, fifth, uh, maiden 50s to 40s. He's going to cut back a little bit. This is a great spot for No Bad Days. Days. Let's use No Bad Days on top. Make sure to use him in all of your exotics. Other horses that we're going to include along with No Bad Days. Obvious contender, Propensity, who's dropping in class, who, who has some good turf sprints. The two. Eh, that's Mr. Everything, who I'm expecting similar. Mr. Everything came off of a six month layoff. Didn't really finish at all, but should be sitting in a nice trip and lures Irad Ortiz Jr. And Mr. Chubby Sir Chubby Sir Chubino Number 7 Sir Chubby So he I can see this race where 4 or 5 shows speed Right? The, the 5 point of humor I wouldn't be shocked if No Bad Days is actually close Mr. Everything is probably going to want to be closer Byron's Mirage uh, Mirage has shown speed Spitball's got speed Propensity's got speed Sir Chubby could come running late on the turn back in distance So it would be the 6 horse I'm just I'm envisioning him sitting a really nice trip in here when, And upgrading 
um, getting another shot on the grass. Six, nine, two, seven in race number six at Saratoga. That's the start of your late pick five. In race number seven, the one Astoria kitten is very logical from the inside. The six Ava K's girl, you're going to get back to Joel. You are going to be stretching back out to a mile and a 16th, so don't expect her to have to be so far back. Joel was aboard in the win, which was sprinting. Now you got that race under your belt. Ava K's girl. She'll be better today. The eight. I feel like Panda Mom is going to. She showed speed, but they were not going quick, right? A lot of times you see horses that end up on the lead or they're in situations where maybe they were on the rail or they were hooked wide and they're forced. So they get to the lead or they get close to it, but that's not the style they want. And I don't think she's going to be gunning it here. I expect to see her sitting with a horse like Astoria Kitten from the inside, maybe a horse like Noble Jewel showing some speed. That's the one thing that worries me about the nine summer at the spa trying to come from way, way out of it. But she'll come running. Eight, six, one, nine in race number seven at Saratoga. We're going to race number eight. This is the Skylerville. So these are two year old fillies. There are two that are going to take a lot of money, and both were extremely impressive in their debut. The three beautiful memories was going five furlongs at Churchill Downs. She won by 10 lengths. The outside horse, Hopeful Princess, she won her debut, but now she comes into the Steve Asmussen barn. She won her debut. They both earn, if you're a buyer figure person, they both earn the same exact buyer figure, 75. Um, that's not you know, something that is a massive tool for my handicapping, but just as far as where did they stack up, they look like the two logical horses to use. I'm, I'm going to use another with, uh, with the two of them, though, in the pick five. And that's the four. Quinoa Tifa, who was chasing a one-to-five favorite in the debut from about two, three lengths off. Angled around at the top of the lane and, and went by. I thought it was a good, impressive performance. First time out for Quinoa Tifa. And if she can sit a little bit and a couple others hook up her early, I'm giving the four an opportunity in here. Let's use the four with the three and the eight in our exotics. The ninth race is the is the Peter Pan, and it is going a mile and an eighth. I like the two. Country Grammar. I've been waiting for a spot like this, uh, a mile and an eighth type spot for Country Grammar. So, he debuted going a mile on the grass back in October. Career start number two, he stretched out and he won going a mile and an eighth. That's when he broke his maiden uh, and it was his first start on the dirt. In his third career start, he went to the Fountain of Youth. And, you know, it looks like he's beaten beaten fifth and he's he's fifth, he's beaten nine lengths. The running line doesn't look that great. But he got squeezed back at the start. He completely missed the break in the in the Fountain of Youth. And the horse who won that day at Tay Indian was Lone Speed. So you get squeezed back. You're chasing Lone Speed. He actually made up some ground. And there was a four-horse photo 
from second to fifth. Second to fifth was all separated by like a half of a length. So, if he would have been second, it would have looked a lot better. Candy Tycoon was second that day. Instead, he ends up finishing fifth, but he was not far behind him at all. Candy Candy Tycoon was beaten eight and a half lengths when finishing second, and Country Grammar was only beaten nine. And then most recently, he was chasing Lone Speed last out behind Tappet to win. He and Mystic Guide loomed up together, and Mystic Guide was just a little bit better than him late. I think Country Grammar probably needed the race. It he had hadn't raced it, you know, with the, another month in between. Last we saw him was the end of February. Mystic Guide we saw him on uh, the end of March, and he was getting ready to run. No knocks on Mystic Guide I think he's a must use in late exotics And I would also use Candy Tycoon Who has more speed than he's been able to show in his last few He ran into Tiz the Law And then Rushy who was third in the San Anita Derby And then was third in the Bluegrass I think for a horse like Karakoro Trying to go a mile and an eighth Not having a race Since January is a little bit too much to ask Modernist I don't have any knocks on He can sit I just like the others a little bit more. I'm two six five. In race number ten, we'll try to close out some of the exotics. I do think the one you could probably single. Dropping in class, face first level allowance company in the last few. Now in with forty non twos should save all the ground. Third start of the form cycle from the inside. The concern is you're cutting back now to five and a half furlongs. This one has run well at five and a half furlongs, but now it's the rail cutting back. She could be way out of it, and that's a scary horse to single. But I will single on one ticket because it, she does look much the best in here. The others that I would include would be the eight and the nine. Summer Fortune, who's going to try the grass for the first time. These siblings are a combined 13 for 50 on the grass with 291,000 in earnings. So the eight has some, some turf pedigree in here to improve on the grass. And then the nine, Bourbon in Ditch as a big price. Go through her grass races. Her turf debut at Indy, she broke her maiden on um, on the grass, going five furlongs against maiden special weights. And then she had trouble. And she was a little goofy at the start. She bore out, and then she was inside, and she got checked when she was at Gulfstream Park. She was in some trouble and was steadied around against a tougher first-level allowance group at, at, at Gulfstream in, in December of 2018. There's a little something there with the nine, Bourbon and Ditch. I'm going to use her in some pick-five scenarios. So I'd probably end up playing two pick-fives. One where um, I would single each of the horses that I really think are most likely winners and strong opinions in their uh, in their respective races. So the sixth race I'd play pick five two six seven nine with one six eight nine with three four eight with two five six single to one. Probably come back and play another one with two six seven nine with one six eight nine with three four eight single to two country grammar with the one eight nine horses to uh, make sure to include in some of your exotics race number six the number six no bad days race number nine the number two country grammar saratoga opening day on thursday we'll have coverage of some of the weekend saratoga racing here on that's what g said right now before we get to our thursday canterbury with Dave Valento I want to tell you a little bit about Old Smoke 
clothing.com so you're a horse racing fan you're listening to the saratoga discussion and now we're going to be talking about some canterbury thursday racing old smoke clothing if you've never checked it out go go look right now i mean horse racing swag t-shirts with horse names polos hoodies long sleeves zip-ups hats Talking about all the big races, slogans. You can show the horse racing fan in you. If you use the promo code GINO, it'll get you a free shipping cost. No shipping cost when you use that promo code GINO. Check out the clubhouse. They have customs, they have slogans. OldSmokeClothing.com. You want to show that horse racing fan in you. Now we get to Thursday Canterbury, Dave Valento, Track Phantom. You heard him talking Wednesday Canterbury earlier. Now we talk to Thursday Canterbury Pick 5. Very lucky to have uh, Track Phantom Dave Valento joining us again to talk Thursday Canterbury. Dave, uh, um, I, we always record a little early so I can get uh, – I like to get a couple days worth of races out on, on my show so that way people can uh, can have a lot of stuff to, to listen to. And I also, also talk some other sports and everything. So um, we we wanted to get your uh, your expert analysis on both the Wednesday and Thursday cards. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking uh, and talking Thursday. And as you mentioned you know, in, early in the Wednesday conversation, this Thursday card is really, really solid too. Yeah, very very good uh, betting uh, sequence. It, it's a very difficult pick five. In fact, is one of these where I just every race that I'm looking to try to narrow down, I'm, I, I just can't find a lot of. I, I don't have a lot of conviction to narrow down. That that typically tells me that it's probably going to pay a lot, and you got to find the right uh, the right prices along the way. Okay, so let's jump right into it, folks. If you're uh, following along with us, get your past performances out. We're looking at Canterbury Park Thursday, July the 16th, and we're going to jump to race number five, which is the start of that 10% takeout pick five. I know you hear me talking about it all the time, and Canterbury is not even a sponsor of the show, nothing at all. I'm just telling you as a horse player that these low takeout wagers are the best things for us. Make sure to, to put even just a little bit of your bankroll there and take a shot at it. And um, you, you mentioned a really fun sequence to kick things off. So six and a half uh, for, uh, for a really fun race to kick off the sequence. Six and a half furlongs, 16,000 in that hybrid claiming condition in here. So where do we start? Who are the horses who you need to get out of this first leg? Well, I, I vacillated between uh, the, the the favorite pun, Penny for Luck and the eight Diva Dequila. I ended up going with the eight. It won uh, an allowance, Minnesota bred allowance last time out. That has, has turned out to be pretty productive. The runner-up of Mac Robertson Horse came back to win an allowance uh, by head next time out. The fifth-place finisher, who, by the way, had a lot of trouble in the race, was one to five in the race, defend the Rose, came back to win the Francis Genter for fun. Uh, stakes. Um, so it, race has been productive, and I, and I think this is a, a reasonable spot to place her. Uh, Beeler with his wife on, aboard, who used to be Lori Keith, is now Lori Beeler. Uh, I think that horse is, is, is for me, a, a must-use. I was five deep here. I, I just couldn't get real uh, skinny in this spot. I think you do need the favorite penny for luck. The horse, I think, at a price that I would take a, take a look at is the one, Party yep. Lights. Yep. Uh, the trainer, Lipman, has has been on fire. I think he started 0 for 9 at the meet, and then he won like four of his next eight, and a bunch of them at prices. Uh, this one has had all kinds of excuses, stumbled uh, on the mud, on the turf. I think there's something here, but from my tickets, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one, two, three, five, eight. With the eight uh, is a slight lean on top. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the one, and uh, I'm gonna play a couple of different tickets, um, which, which I always do when I come to play the pick five. One of them, I'm gonna single the one right off the bat. 
Um, I, I, you imagine I love horses like this. Their form is a little muddied up and a little dirtied up. You can right. go race by race with this filly from her first start and make excuses for the poor performances and the races she didn't show up. She wired a field going seven furlongs against maiden 15 claimers at Churchill Downs, and it, she draws the inside here. I think she's going to send. There is not a ton of speed in this race. And if she gets a little loose from the inside, she could be really tough to run down. You mentioned the races at Sam Houston and at Oaklawn. They were on off race tracks. There's just a lot when you when you start digging in to this one that the real question is, can she clear the field? Can she clear a horse, you know, you know, like um, one of the outside couple horses in here? And if she can, she could be really, really, really tough. The uh, I like the inside three I think the most um, I'm, I'm fine with the two that you mentioned too The five and the eight I do think uh, Aquina's advice If she can break well She's been her own worst enemy in the last few Well enough to just stay You know not eight ten lengths out of it And maybe just four or five lengths out of it She'll she should have a little bit to run at Fairly honest as um, y- You have a, a horse who gets off the rail Going six and a half for, or going five and a half Furlongs last time out so the one's a must, must use for me. You know, she's one at seven, six and a half, knows it, no issue. I just hope they get aggressive, send hard, and just say, hey, we think we have a horse who's got some quality. Let's try to uh, try to uh, steal this race. So, party lights, definitely on a ticket for both of us for sure. And I think, what'd you say, one, two, three, five, eight for you? Yep, one, two, three, five, eight. Yep, yep. And I'll be uh, I'll be using a lot of the a lot one, two, three, and probably another spread ticket with the with the same that you mentioned. Race number six. Starts your late pick four. These are Minnesota bred fillies and mares, three year olds and up. They're going to travel a mile on the turf course here. Where do you start in this sixth race? Well, I, I, as I mentioned, I think these are these are really tough races, and you're going to have to get uh, get clever here. I went with the with the nine. Um, Come on, sweet pea is my top choice here. I think it's the, the nine. Yeah, this. So so this was a a a race replay angle for me. So if you notice that the nine. And the seven come out of the same race. And the seven ran a great race. Uh, guy you had on last week, uh, Brian Aragani, friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He had this horse te- pegged on top, 11, 12 to one shot. Had the lead until the, the, the desperate final yards and they got tagged. But when I watched the replay of the race, the, the uh, Tantima had a perfect trip. Perfect yep. trip. Sat right behind a contested duel. Moved up, uh, not going wide at all, inherited the lead, and then looked like it was the winner of the race that got tagged. Now, the nine, come on, Sweet Pea, was wide and trying to find room, had to duck back to the inside. And then when when finally got clear on the inside, this horse was moving at the end. You notice it went from eighth to third. There was some run here at the end, and I think there's some breeding here for the turf. I like it as a second time on the turf, so I like the nine. Um, the one is another horse I have in, in my actually my second choice here. Uh, that race that comes out of it, there were three Mac Robertson horses in that race, and um, it was one of, as as would be expected, twenty two to one shot. The third of the three, Robertson <laughs> won. yep. And it's just one of those. It was one of those races where I look at it and go, you know what? That might actually be a key race. And I think this one, he's moving to the turf, gets the inside. I think there might be something here. But uh, the, my A category horses here in this race are the one seven nine, and then my B categories are uh, horse are the three five eleven. Those are the only six that I would I would consider on any combination of tickets. Very similar. Um, I love one and nine as uh, as maybe maybe in some tickets to try to take a little stand against the seven. I, I don't really have any knocks on the seven other than that. 
just like what you said Watching the replay The 7 got the great trip That was the race she was supposed to win And then when she struck the lead She opens up 2 She kind of started waiting on horses a little bit I don't like when you blow an easy lead like that um, and, and you're not like lo- like loose on the lead And you get really tired It was she, she was sitting perfect She should have had a little bit more Everything you mentioned about the nine, I completely agree with. Uh, out of those, that race, I think the nines just got a little more upside. The one, my Miss Marilyn, you got the inside speed stretching out. I think she's going to take them as far as she can go. She actually showed that she can sit a little bit too in her debut. The dam never tried the turf, but she has produced seven siblings to race. All seven of them are winners, and six of them have won at least three races. Five of those seven won on the turf. There's a lot of turf influence there for my Miss Marilyn. Um, I'm one and nine, just like you said. I think the next one after them would be the seven, and um, and then for me, others that I would look at if you were if I was going to go a little deeper, I might throw the three on one ticket or two, just because she's got a couple pretty good grass races that if she shows up with one of her better efforts, that would at least be pretty competitive with some of these in here. There's a, a little bit of upside I think with the 11 who completely missed the break And then she was a little wide into the turn She was almost 15 lengths out of it And so she could definitely Improve in, in making her second Start but I feel very similar with You I think we start with the one in the nine here No question about it Yes I, I think you're right on and I did watch uh, The 11 in that Same uh, replay that I looked At the seven and the nine and there's no question that she was compromised in that race. Mm-hmm. So for those that, it, and, and has some breeding for the turf as well. So those that are looking for a, a second time starter, they have better chance. Big rider change to, here to Hernandez. So yeah, the 11 is, is a definite ad for me as well. The seventh race coming up of the 10 races that we discussed over the two Wednesday, Thursday cards. There was one race on Wednesday that was an all race, but it was an all race that I kind of liked in that, there were courses you could make cases for most, and I thought it was a fun race to handicap. I just hate this race, <laughs> this seventh <laughs> race coming up. I right. can't get a feel for it. I can't get a strong opinion. And then for me, when that ends up happening, I like to lean towards the longer prices because if I'm going to spread out, I might as well not use the short prices. But I don't I don't even really know where to start in here. So I need your help a little on this race, Dave. Where, where do you start? Give me some of your thoughts. <laughs> okay, well, I, I 100% agree with you. This this is a really, really tough race to really sink your teeth into. So the one I landed on a top, it's a little bit of, of an obvious selection. I went with a three starring John Wayne, but it's a closer on a track that, as mentioned, has been favoring speed. Now, the reason I, I went here is um, to race two back, ran second to Gadito, who's actually been a pretty decent runner. This beat at Canterbury, third place finisher, came back to win. Um was getting to those horses at the end. I like the, the the way that horse ran there. Then the last time it ran, this horse isn't going to win at five furlongs. I don't care. I mean, they go 21 mm-hmm. and three, 44 and three. This horse is left too far back, too much to do. They were trying to ask the horse early. Finally got into in, into running late in the race. It was too late. I think this was the, the you know, better spot for it here. The two, Harry the Hitman is another horse that I, I've, you know, this used to be in the Mac Robertson barn. It has a little bit Minnesota bread, has a little bit of back class. Now with Litfin, as I mentioned, he's been having uh, streaky runs. And he did this, by the way, this trainer Litfin over the last three, four, five years, he's done this before. He's He's gone long stretches with having nothing hit the board, and then he'll win five of eight, five of nine. Uh, this one is is taking a drop in class. I think that's a little bit better race that it comes out of. So I think I'm going to use, use that one as well in the – Third horse that I'm I'm considering is out of the same race that the two's out of Marshall Hill the nine. 
This yep. uh, husband and wife team, I think it's a husband and wife, Robert Klein, uh, Kelsey Haar. This Haar, she's a good rider. You watch her. She doesn't get, get Super the Super capable. Yeah. yeah. She, she's, she's got something. I think she's going to be around for a while. Uh, this is a closer in, in the race. So if that race, that uh, the runaway bet race turns out to be strong, both the two and the nine, I think, can, can run on that race. But it, as you mentioned, uh, it's it's a really, really tough race. And I wouldn't fault the for take, hitting the all button here. Yeah. The only horse who I want to just throw on a couple of my tickets for sure is the four at a price just because I, I know he's got more speed than he showed last time out and so i want to give him at least an opportunity to to show his speed in a race and maybe he can hang around with a group like this but i think the horses you meant for me I, I do think the three is the one to beat and everything that you mentioned seems very logical that now getting back to six furlongs he's not going to be rushed as much he can break Still not great, but but have a little more opportunity to get up in here against a hor- against a group that I just don't love. And the nine, I, I definitely want the nine on, on on my tickets too, no doubt about it. Marshall Hill, I think they're trying to figure out where he belongs, where he fits. Those Oaklawn low level claimers, those races were so tough this year, Dave. With the with you know Oaklawn being one of the few tracks open at that time, they ended up getting tons of horses all over. Those entry boxes were filled. So I always mention and preface when we're looking at horses that have some Oaklawn form from from this year, those races are a little bit tougher than they look on paper. No, no question about it. You can even see nine horses, eleven horses, nine horses, twelve horses that that he ran against in Oakland and hundred and ten to one, and wasn't disgraced in any, really any of those races. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think, as I mentioned, the two and the nine come out of that same race. And I went, I just looked while you were speaking, the top three finishers in that race in the in the race on uh, July second, won by Runaway Bet, Oakland Shipper, cla- Big Class Dropper, and Oakland Shipper, top three finishers. So yep. you definitely have to pay attention to that race. Let's get to race number eight. This is a five furlong turf sprint. They should be moving early in here, Dave. Uh, just on paper, you have some sharp horses. You have some horses who are really quick. The one can fly, and then you get the rail draw. So that may even force her a little more. The three fifty shades of grace can absolutely fly. She's super quick. The four Tashiara, she can absolutely fly. She is really quick. The horse to the outside, very boisterous. She's not exactly slow. We haven't seen her show as much speed on the turf, but she has shown it on the dirt. She can really go. If, you know, combinations of two or three of those, don't forget about the six who's got a little speed also. If, you know, if we see three, you know, three of these horses go, they will be flying early in here. Yes, no, no question. I, I actually went with the two. That, that, and just everything you just said is accurate. I mean, there's going to be a lot of speed in the race and in the two some say so won a lot of races at canterbury on this turf course the 15 for 21 in the exacta on the canterbury turf you know that the race two back that it won from the 10 post just was much the best uh you, just a big run the horse who who ran third was a a, a a stakes winner at remington i know the owner pretty well and they were pretty high on on uh, her in that spot so i think that was a good run and i think you're going to see a similar run for her does you it know, feel like she's going to get that exact kind of trip in here? It really does. It really yeah. does. Yeah, she's going to be sitting within two, three lengths of the lead without being asked, and is probably going to going to catch some tired foes in the lane. The last race it ran, you know, I had TMI on top in my selection, six to one. That was a a horse who had previously run in Southern Cal, went to Arizona, had been running in stakes races, and then came out of a really tough uh, handicap race at Will Rogers. They had those handicap races out there that were really strong this this uh, spring. 
And uh, she came out was second in that, and then came to Canterbury. Won really with something left. Has has some talent. Is going to be running, I think, next week again. The the third place finisher, Superstar B, came back to run second last night at uh, fifteen to one in an optional twenty thousand. So I, I just think that you know for for those looking for a spot to single, which I will be doing in one of my tickets, I'm going to go with some say so. I'm against the rail horse. Just as a call out here, yeah, I liked her in that last spot. I had her. I had the pick four that day that paid well. She beat a big favorite, but there was nothing in the race that she came out of other than the favorite who flopped, who just didn't run that day. So I think there's too much speed for her. She's going to have to be asked from the inside of me to be against her. But for me, it, the, the, the day is probably going to go through the number two, some say so here. Yeah, she she's just she's no doubt the one to beat. She's a horse I think you have to use. Um she she did, I think she just got up she got caught up a little too close last time out too. She just maybe moved a little early. I think got a little confident because she was sitting such a good trip and and she was just clearly second best that day. She's going to trip out in here and and if she's good enough she'll have every opportunity and I think she is. The the uh, price horse who I will use and I will hook up uh, with the two on on some tickets is the 7 Rosy Bear. I've kind of been chasing this mare for a little while because I liked a, a few of her races at Arlington and then she ran into if, if you go gra- through her, her grass races she's actually run some really good races sprinting on the turf she hooked a first level allowance group at churchill i think that's just way too tough of a group you can make an easy excuse and put a line right through that race and then the next time we saw her on the turf she was at sam houston that race wasn't the softest spot she had she was a little sneaky in between horses with some trouble and she was only beaten a couple, not even a couple lengths. And then she made her first start in a few months last time out. Some say so, just got a really great trip. If she's a little sharper, if she shows a little bit more tactical speed that I know she has, I think she could be the price horse in here that could maybe shake things up. The two is no doubt the one to beat. The other one would be the five for me. So I'll probably use two seven on some tickets. And I'll probably use two five seven, I, I think, on another but uh, we we're we're just looking at this race as I can't, Dave. I can't strongly and confidently make a case for one of these horses who I feel like has to be on the lead. No, no doubt about it. It was gonna be tough. You know, I, I it's funny. I don't know if you saw this last weekend. Uh, Amy's challenge was running at, yep. at Keeneland. It was one mm-hmm. of my. It was my best bet of the day. I thought she was the lone speed. Me too. Hundred percent agree. And yeah. they just kind of strangled from the outside, and you get hooked a little bit wide. I would always, as a better. I would always prefer going a little bit faster early to open up than to settle the horse. Maybe you can slow things down. Even if you don't, if you're going quick and you're cruising and you're on your own, it's much better than if you're going slower and you're hooked wide and you're kind of in between. Uh, it was, I was, you know, that, the, 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 the what I was going to say with that is just what you said. Exactly right. I, you know, that's why I have a hard time really over accentuating pace in a race because it never seems to work out the way that you you anticipate it's going to happen on paper. Somebody else is going to run, or you know, the, the riders in this race are all going to look at this and say, you know what, too much speed. We're going to we're going to, we're going to suck back, and all of a sudden the ones loosen the lead. Yep. Slow pace. I mean, it's just one of those things where I use it and I consider it, but what I look for is more hidden pace than obvious pace because completely you know, agree. This, yes. Yeah. In this case, in this case, just what you said. I think this race, though, having said all that. There is no real chance that this can't. This isn't going to be a, a fast pace. I mean, there's just too many need the lead horses here. They're going to be headstrong and to go out here. So I I agree with the the three that you said. Some say so. Uh, great points on the seven. Really, I like. I I actually think that horse is very live here. And the other one that I've got here is the five. So I think we're in the same camp mm-hmm. here. Two five seven yep. for me. And if one of those speed horses 
wins this race and they they fend off all the other speeds and they earn it, you know what? We'll tip our hat to them. And if it's a horse like the one who's only three to one, five to two, we'll really tip our hat because we'll find more five to two shots down the road that we like, you know. But but yeah, I, I'm with you. Completely agree. That that was that was that was frustrating as someone who also backed Amy's challenge and and had as my top selection and played on a lot of tickets and was was messing around with because I figured. Yeah, you know what? They're gonna let her go a little bit here, and, and that was uh, that wasn't the case. They had different tactics. I wish I wish that they, they would have consulted you and me before the race because <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we move to race number nine. So now we're gonna try to close out this pick five on Thursday. We've got um, a group of Minnesota bred maiden seventy five hundred. So we've got a you know we have some stakes races that we talked about we had some real quality races and then we're going to go to the to the bottom sort of level here to close things out with the Minnesota bred maiden 75s and we are looking at a group in here of 8 we have two first time starters of the six horses who have run four of them have not shown much one of them is 0 for 16 and loves running second and third and doesn't really Run winning type races And he hasn't run since September And it, it almost You just start eliminating horses And you, it's hard not to l- Really really look at the one Runaway flash Even as a horse who hasn't shown much And hasn't doesn't have maybe a lot of speed From the rail And just think that he's better than this group Can't be beat that that there's just there's just no, there's no way this horse can be beat. First of all, you got last year's leading rider Ariette on it. He is a fantastic rider. I mean, there's every jockey colony has de- you know a lot of decent good riders that you can rely on, and every colony has two or three riders. Or like when you notice that they're on a horse, you got to you got to bump them up. Arietta is that kind. Not only is this horse taking a draw from maiden specials, but it's a good a strong maiden special way it's coming out of it. At least my opinion, it is. Um, you know, there, there, there was a couple of first-time, well-meant first-time starters in that race. There was a fairground shipper who ran second in that race, with Mac Robertson horse. Uh, the winner of the race was a second-time starter, uh, who first time out this year that was, you know, 36 to 1, but obviously came ready to run. It's just, it, it was a strong race, and I think a bunch of those horses are going to run well out of that race. You go back and look at these races. I mean, this this horse was third, you know, beating two lengths and I'm waiting 40. If this, put it this way. If this horse doesn't win by 10 lengths, I might be disappointed. Uh, I, I can't see this horse getting beat. Now, if I had to use another horse, which, by the way, I am going to because, let's face it, these are these are cheap horses and they're not very reliable. If I had to use another horse here, the one I would look at is the two classy magic just because, yeah. you know, that race two back behind Cezanne uh, when it was third, that's that's decent. That's not mm-hmm. a bad run here. That's that's gets it into the conversation. Obviously, something happened last time out going long. They, they basically eased the horse in. I don't know who this rider is that they've got up, but yeah. you know, there's just nothing else in the race. But for me, if the one gets beat, I have a feeling that most of my tickets are going to go right down the toilet. Yeah. I couldn't go any deeper than the two you mentioned, and, I, and I'll use the one and the two, and, and that's it. And probably the one singled on some tickets, and then the two, mainly because at least we've seen some speed from the two. Sprinting going six and a half two for long or two races back so at least I know that he has the ability to not get completely outrun and I look at everybody else like this is the type of race um, Dave that I would love to make a case for one of the first time starters you know I would love to in a race like this say well there's nobody really that scares me in here I don't really love the five who's going to take money and the one's got no speed from the rail 
But I, I mean, Sam's Palace, the Sparn is 0 for 21 with their firsters the last five years. They ate JJ's Wildcat. They're 0 for 7 with firsters the last five years. That one doesn't have a, a massive tab either. I don't know if he, he's going to be fit enough. Um, the dam of Sam's Palace was just 1 for 20, 27. And when you look at all the, the, the foals, they don't win a ton of races. They were a lot of 1 for horses. I, yeah, I just. You, you start yeah. trying to trying to make case. I'm, I'm trying to make a case for like the six who can maybe sit close, but then I watched his races, and and he's got less speed than it actually looks like on paper. Like he's, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it seems like because he's only a couple lengths out of it, but then you watch and he's not. It's like he kind of grinds his way up to a couple lengths. He doesn't break well and then sit. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I know we we try and we want to 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 make cases, you know, for big prices in in as many races as we can. But for me, I just could not get away from the two inside horses. I guess if anybody was looking for a price horse to maybe use under, maybe I'd give it to the the four, Matt and Cheese, who at least has faced open company in his last couple. And he was hustled for the lead, um, but a couple other horses went for it, so he ended up taking back. And then a lot of times you take back with a low-level horse like this, you can't re-rally. They don't have multiple gears to just press start and stop. So... He would be my, you know, if you're looking to fill out tries and supers, but I just we we couldn't really get past the two inside horses here. Yeah, and I, and I'll just make one comment about those two first timers. I'm in the same boat. You know, this is a good spot to try to find a first time starter. But the trainer, the seven, 21 first time starters never hit the board. I mean, that's just not an angle I can support. And the, yep. the trainer, the the eight, I think he's four for 115 in in the last five years overall. So they just, they just, there's just nothing here. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing but the the one, the two is an outside chance, just if it can runs back. But that literally, I'm going to make a call here. I, I think if if um, if the if the one runs and breaks okay and gets a clean trip, at least a five length win here, if not it, more. It, yeah, it's just not um, not a race where you can confidently make cases for most. And and the one you just you just feel like is in is a great spot, well spotted. You get a great jock from the inside, so you should get an aggressive ride at least to put this horse into the race. So, um, yeah, Dave, I, I think this is a tough sequence too. They're fun both Wednesday and Thursday sequences. This Thursday sequence too. Um, I really enjoy both of them, and what I like as a better, it's it, nowadays in in racing we get a lot of racetracks with small fields. There's a lot of in the last couple of years a lot of negative publicity to in, in horse racing tracks that aren't running as much. We don't have as as much um, as a better and as a customer maybe to get excited about. Whenever I handicap and bet the Canterbury. T- uh, tickets and pick fives it's weird Knowing that they're a track who's trying To help and cater to a better like me Who's someone who might not have been playing Canterbury every day Before I already feel Like a good warm fuzzy feeling In my stomach <laughs> before I even play Right you know like some of those tr- tickets Or tracks you play and you kind of feel Defeated right off the bat or like you, You're you're kind of eh should I play This should I not I never feel that way When I'm handicapping Canterbury I feel excited To play these these tickets and to take a Shot at them because they're doing a good by me, yeah, and and I'll, I'll say this: the the group over there at Canterbury, all very good people. Andrew Offerman, Jeff Maday, you 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 had Brian Aragani on, you had Dave mm-hmm. on a couple of weeks back. I mean, they got a group of really really good people. Kevin Gorg, uh, good handicappers, good people. They run a good or, organization. They they really, you know, this is the track it, it, of all the tracks that are, are, were hurt by the shutdown by the coronavirus. I don't think anybody was more hurt by by this than Canterbury. They are a live audience 
track. You fun. Know, they, it's a they, fun track. The the night yeah. racing what on Thursday nights uh, and Friday nights a lot of the time. The whole everybody in town and and from all over the place goes there. Everybody's having the cheap drinks. Um, they're they're having fun. There there's fun music out there. They're they are trying different things with um. I I love that Canterbury takes a shot and they say, hey, we're not gonna be you know Saratoga. We're not going to try to be that racetrack We're going to try to do things a little bit different Cater to a, maybe a, a slightly different audience Or maybe a slightly different fan base And I love it I mean you have a good time with Paul Allen Calling the races over there Who's the uh, the football voice of the Minnesota Vikings Very very, very popular Paul's a great guy uh, very, He's got a radio show Does the Vikings Does the, the Canterbury He's been there for since 95 Really, really good guy. Really good group of people. So if you, if you know, not to mention as a horse player, obviously you you speak with your dollars, but as as far as just good people, that 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 they got it there at Canterbury. So I'm really happy to see them succeed, and that's why I'm doing the sheets for for free for for my group. Is I, I want to keep the attention on that track. Yeah. I think they deserve a break. You know, they 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 they're up against it. You know, they try to get. The ADW off-track betting, uh, not the off-track betting, but the ADW option to bet Canterbury from um, Minnesota residents, and it was declined. They can't. If you're a Minnesota resident, you cannot bet Canterbury from home. So everything going against these guys, but they're they're doing a good job. Really happy they, for them. They really are, and and just like you said, I'm going to try to to get a few horse players' eyes and dollars over that way because we're going to talk about Canterbury and on all these, at least a couple pick fives a week here on That's What G Said. And, Dave, I'd love to have you back again, whether it be Canterbury, whether it be any other racetrack. Like you said, you're all over the place. So for for those folks who listened to this and who who loved what they heard from you, what other tracks are you covering? And then give us your plugs one more time. What information do you have out there? Where can we find your website? Give us all the goods. Yeah, I, mostly Del Mar, Saratoga during the summer. I, I try to focus on the tracks where there's good racing. Uh, when I do the analysis sheet, it, it takes me a little bit of time, a couple hours to do it. Uh, I like to dig into the better racing. So uh, Del Mar, Saratoga, uh, you can get it all at trackfandom.com. As I mentioned, the, the, all year long, the Canterbury sheets are going to be free. You just go to the, the, the site, you look for the coupon code. Uh, uh, you know, If you sign up. At the site, you'll get an email from me with the coupon code in there that you can you can plug in and make it for free. But yeah, anytime, Gino, enjoy talking with you. Be back anytime you want me, and uh, let's hope we give some people some winners at Canterbury this week. Exactly. I asked you for maybe thirty minutes. It took about a t- two and a half times that, but we had such a good time talking. I never mind. I, I like when we go long because that means we've got good stuff to talk about, and we've got we've got a good uh, repertoire and a good back and forth. So hopefully, this is the first of many times we have you on. That's what G said. Thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dino. Folks, you heard how you can uh, follow along and get in touch with him. Really sharp handicapper there. That is Track Phantom, Dave Valento. Don't go anywhere. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back with much more on That's What G Said. Big thanks again to Dave. You heard the ways you can follow along and get in touch. Very sharp handicapper. Good product there. Track Phantom. Probably have uh, Dave back on to talk more Canterbury and other races. We close this show out with some old wrestling rewatch. We're going to go to King of the Ring 1998. Andrew Champagne joins. We talk about that Hell in a Cell match where you saw The Undertaker against Mick Foley and Mick Foley got thrown off of the cell and then he got thrown, chokeslammed through the cell and he jumped up off of his uh, stretcher and climbed back on the cell and then he got thrown through it. Yeah. And then he got slammed on the the thumbtacks all over. Yeah. 
One of the craziest matches you'll ever see And altogether a, a pretty sneaky good show One that I enjoyed So we discuss match by match We go through all the commentary All the details Set you up on everything In our old wrestling rewatch I will preface this with saying We recorded this Last week So I recorded it on Wednesday night Thinking that it was going to be part of the Thursday show And we ended up I uh, I actually had a lot of uh, different stuff to, to use last week on Thursday So this since, since the wrestling stuff Isn't as time sensitive We can bump it around Although Andrew and I do talk a little bit about Pleasanton And we mentioned that Andrew was on the show earlier Which So if you hear any of that stuff discussed You can kind of uh, just, uh, just ignore it, but we don't talk. It's not a whole ton, just a, a few minutes there. So wanted to let you know, just in case you were you were wondering why we talked about Andrew being on the show earlier or other Pleasanton stuff. That was because the plan slightly changed. Right now, King of the Ring ninety eight. This week's old wrestling rewatch is going to take us to nineteen ninety eight. And before we get into the show, I welcome in. Uh, good friend Andrew Champagne and uh, Andrew, we got to give a shout out and a big hello to our buddy Darren Zocali. He's not going to be with us again this week, but he has a legitimate excuse. He sent the teacher a note from home. It was actually his birthday and his wedding anniversary, ten years both within a few days. So they had a lot to celebrate over there in the Zocali family. So a big shout out to our buddy. He'll be back with us talking to old wrestling next week. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, and my condolences to his wife's savings account. Man, one time every year, that <laughs> I know. just gets socked. Double whammy, boom, that, that hits you. Uh, but but don't, don't you worry out there, folks. Uh, the two of us, we are verbose gentlemen, and we can talk on a topic. And, Andrew, boy, do we have a topic to discuss this week. This is a show, the Helena, uh, King of the Ring 1999, and in particular uh, a match in the Helena Cell with um, Mankind, Mick Foley versus The Undertaker, that will go down as one of the most well-known matches on what has become one of the most infamous shows because Mick Foley in this show, whatever the bar had been set for extreme, hardcore wrestling we think of, you know, ECW or other promotions who were doing it he, if if there was a bar that was being raised slightly by other wrestlers around the world, he took that bar and he raised it so high that it was going to be, you know, never really matched. Even to this day, there's never really been a bump like the one that we've seen taken or multiple ones that we saw take in, in this match by Foley. And it, it's phenomenal when you watch it back, like... How tough the will I mean it's scary as hell when we watch it But it's incredible what he wanted To do to try to you know leave A a lasting memory in in some of these Fans minds Every Hell in a Cell match for the last 22 years has in Some way shape or form Tried to meet or exceed The expectations set By this match and that's the best Tribute I think that you can pay to any wrestler As far as their art form Mick Foley uh, was looking for reasons and ways to make this Hell in a Cell match as good as he possibly could. And by the way, if you haven't watched either of his one-man shows that are available on the WWE Network, you absolutely should because he goes into a lot of depth on his thought process from this match. He knew that he could not have the same kind of match in the cell that Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker had the previous year. He's a different worker than Shawn. He wasn't going to be able to do some of the things that Sean was able to do. So he goes to a bastion of wisdom backstage in the WWF locker room 
who's known for his sanity and his logic, he, of course, goes to Terry Funk. And Terry Funk goes, <laughs> you should start the match on top of the cell. <laughs> and it went from there. Now, Foley had to do a lot of work to convince The Undertaker to do this. Because Taker didn't want to do this. And usually, when The Undertaker said he wasn't feeling something, that was it. Conversation over, end of discussion, he was the locker room leader of what he said went. But Foley kept pushing and pushing and pushing until one day, Taker looks at him and goes, Cactus, why are you so intent on killing yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Foley goes into his cell again, and Taker goes, I'll think about it. They wound up doing the match as Foley wanted to do it to start. The first of the two bumps was planned. The second bump, not so much. And we'll get into the ways in which that altered the course of McFoley's career of WWF and WWE history, really, as we get into that match. But the thing that stuck out to me watching this show, there were a couple of things. First of all, there are certain things on this show that just do not age well. Time has not been kind to certain aspects of this show and how it was booked. You can blame that on the Attitude Era, and a lot of my issues center around the main event and what they were trying to get fans to believe. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absurd. Well, yeah, we'll get there, there were some really good matches on this show, even I though you have agree. to find yeah. them. There's a hidden gem tag title and match that we'll get to that is arguably the New Age Outlaws' best match from a quality perspective it's like old as school. a tag team. It's, it's, it's a really cool old school match. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the X Pac Owen Hart match for about the first seven minutes of that match that goes eight and a half, I was like, wow. I loved it. I wanted it to go another 10 minutes. And then there's just this sloppy botch towards the end that leaves a little bad taste in your mouth. But the first part of that match, I forgot. And it seemed like both of those guys had their working shoes on. They were trying to prove a point. And. Yeah, this is overall, you know, we remember this show for The Undertaker Mankind. It's not a bad show. It's not from, from quality top to bottom. The crowd's really into it, which always helps a show. When the crowd is hot as it, as it is at this point in 1998 WWF, they're really into Austin. They're really into really all of the all of the acts, even even the the the, the goofy things like the Al Snow stuff. The one the one positive that WWF at this time had was that Everybody top to bottom had a story Every every feud had an angle It was more than just put them out in the ring on a Monday Night Raw And they're going to wrestle for 15 minutes The All of this stuff had been built up for a while So that's the one positive is that A lot of the mid-carders and a lot of the lower the tier acts on the card Still had people behind them Because we still felt emotionally involved in what was happening to them Yeah, and it was a case where Everything seemed like it had a purpose. And while not everything worked, you could see some pieces starting to come together. For instance, Too Cool was too much on this show, and they were not too cool yet. They were not a finished product in a lot of different kinds of ways, but you saw little flashes to where it was easy for the booking committee to say, okay, we need to stick with these guys. They'll figure it out. And they did figure it out. X-Pac and Owen Hart, you had two guys that could really work. The mantra among the clique was, if you couldn't work with Sean Waltman, you couldn't work. Mm -hmm. He was the measuring stick 
that they would use to determine if guys were ready to work with other click members. And we'll talk about click politics, I'm sure, at some point. But you had The Rock, who at this point was really gaining momentum. This mm-hmm. was one of the first shows where the people's elbow got a gigantic pop. It Crowd's behind been, him here. Yes, yeah. It had sort of been building to that point. At WrestleMania, he did it, and there was no noise. King of the Ring, a couple months later, he does it. He gets a pop, and someone backstage went, hmm, this works. Better keep doing it. And as ridiculous as the Austin Kane stuff was, Austin was the most over guy in the company. Kane was booked brilliantly up mm-hmm. until this point. Yeah. And it sort of worked in spite of all the weird stuff. The one thing that you do need to keep in mind here is this was the Attitude Era. It wasn't necessarily something where stuff was booked to make sense, but everyone had something to do Yes, because if that guy didn't have something to do when his contract came up, WCW was a call away. So there was a lot going on here and there's a lot to dissect in a show that went two and a half hours. It's not a horribly long rewatch if you want to watch along with us. There's a lot to go through, though, and there's a lot of efforts from names that we recognize. Yep. Well, let's get let's get right into it. So one thing also to note in in doing a little research and reading up and some of the stuff that Foley was talking about to McFoley, he was prior to this he had been in the main events against Stone Cold Steve Austin as Dude Love a few times in the past couple months, and initially he had been pitched the idea of Hell in a Cell versus Stone Cold. For kind of the blow off to the Stone Cold Dude Love feud So he had thought in That you know he was going to get one more match Against Stone Cold and then when they changed thing, They changed things Not that working with The Undertaker is a demotion But he kind of felt like He had done something wrong That he wasn't going to be working with the champion anymore And that they were going to switch things up And they're going to put Kane with, uh, with Stone Cold So I wonder too He talked about how he he wanted to do something a little bit more because he felt that he had he had really kind of grown into a main event talent now. The the numbers, the ratings were really good when he was on. He was getting good pay-per-view buys and everything. So I think he felt a little slighted not being in that match one more time with Austin and and we see what happens when Foldy feels a little bit slighted. He wants to go above and beyond and basically do things that we've never seen and may never ever see again. Hopefully never ever see again on some uh, some Amen. wrestling television. So they we get the build up for this in the, the intro package and it sets up the Austin Kane first blood match for the title and the Undertaker Mankind Hell in the Cell. It's being billed as a double main event. And in the in, in the intro package, I loved Austin. Uh, one of the lines he said, "I bled before. I ain't afraid. To, I ain't afraid to bleed again. Your big dead ass belongs to Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right." Is that if Cade doesn't win, he's gonna set himself on fire. Something oh, that boy. something that we're gonna talk about throughout the show. Um, it's one of those dark intros with Freddie Blassie doing the voiceover, which I really liked. But just this idea, Andrew. I mean, when when they started, I feel bad when Jr. has to sell things like this, it, because even he does an okay job of trying to sell some of the outlandish stuff throughout the Attitude Era. But something like this, where they're talking about if Kane loses this match, if he does not win the title, he will set himself on fire. Not only do they say that, they say, and JR says this, and he will breathe his last breath. Yeah, and if you feel uncomfortable listening to us talk about this, rest assured, 
We felt uncomfortable watching this. And there's a reason that when you think of King of the Ring 98, you think of mankind hurling himself off of and through cages, and you don't remember this storyline. Because this was really, really bad. And looking back, if you bought this pay-per-view thinking, I'm going to see Kane set himself on fire. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, they wanted a way to take the title off of Steve Austin so that he could win it back the next night on Raw. Now, to WWF's credit, not only did they do that, but when Austin won the title back the next night, that is one of the biggest pops in the history of Monday Night Raw. And while you hear a whole bunch of people doing impersonations of JR going crazy about Austin saying, Austin, Austin, Austin. The one that gets replayed the most is from that Raw show. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool moment. But why did that need that ridiculous set himself on fire thing? That I don't know. It, did, it didn't. Holy, it didn't need it at all. Holy Kane, unnecessary. Kane I mean, was built we got, well. He was a yeah. scary big heel. He, he he was fine. Even just the first blood, that part of the match got you out of it. Yeah. You didn't need to do the set him on fire because Kane, he had a, a full body suit, basically. He was impossible to make bleed versus Austin. Then you threw the Undertaker in it. If you were going to have that and, and Foley's coming down to the ring. So if you're going to have it be schmozzy already and why even add that? Oh, we might possibly have a, a a person light themselves on fire here tonight. So much so that you've got the big things of gasoline around around the the arena. I mean, it Goofy. just it just didn't need. It was unnecessary. Yes, totally and unnecessary. And and it's uncomfortable. I mean, we remember the Attitude Era for some of the ways in which WWF pushed the envelope. And there are certain segments that you have to think. Vince McMahon looks at with his publicly owned company now and wishes he could just scrub off the network. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable is a really good word for it, actually. And it's one of those things where you wonder from the standpoint of a wrestling fan, if you're going to do this, why are you overbooking it to this degree? And even so much as hinting at something that a, you know, is never going to happen. B, on the off chance it does happen, surely someone's getting sued. It just, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's just like, it hurts your brain to think yeah. about as a, as a wrestling fan because we suspend disbelief all the time and we're fine doing it, right? We all do it when we watch scripted television shows and anything. So it's not like we're doing anything different as wrestling fans where we, Believe what they tell us to believe sometimes It's just when they treat us a little too dumb That we go, ah, really? This isn't even something that I think like Kids are, are probably looking at going uh, I don't know, I, I don't know about this I, I, I don't even know So, uh, and, and then before, one more thing before we really start the So the, the, the pyro I mean, we just came out of a 4th of July That I saw some people talking about it It sounded like Beirut out there Because they're in California um, there were fireworks going on all night long. This was insane. This was like WrestleMania esque pyro uh, to start this show. Huge, huge beginning. Jr. and King welcome us, Andrew, and then we get that ominous Hell in a Cell hanging over a ring, the ring as they talk the main events. A, a pretty decent night for Jr. and King. I mean, King gets a little crazy in some spots, but 
it is funny when King gets serious later in the in the show during the Hell in a Cell match. Like he's seen a lot in his day, but he's never seen anyone crazy as Foley. Jr. I think has a better night than Lawler. Lawler yeah. has a couple of good ones, but this is Jr. being Jr. Mm-hmm. and not just for his explanations during the Cell match. He had a couple of other really good lines, a couple of really funny deadpan lines too. In the vein of, I can't believe I'm announcing this. What the heck are they doing? This was pretty cool between JR and uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Lawler gets involved in other capacities throughout the evening that I'm sure we'll talk about. But we're heading into the opener here, and I like this opening match. Mm-hmm. Me too. It, it's We talked about a lot of headbangers matches in the last few months, and most of them are eh. And we didn't, and, and the headbanger matches and the headbanger, the gimmick in general didn't really hit with us. But this is a perfect capacity for them. You put them in the ring with a couple guys that are very good workers in Kai and Tai that can all bump, that are very fast, small guys, really quick paced. And you throw Taco with them, who was a pretty big fan favorite at the time. So the crowd is into this. They're really, really hot. Taco Michinoku is dressed like a headbanger. And um, you know that's when Jr. is talking about how it's a setup that Kane will set himself on fire, breathe his last win. King then says it's win-win. Either we get a new champ or someone set on fire. So King is celebrating death right off the bat. Love it, love it. Um, but quick pace, Andrew. Kai and Tai was a, an act that the crowd didn't really get into. But when we, you watch back their matches, they were great for what they were. Anytime they were in the ring, you were going to get a good few minutes out of them. They're quick. They're great bumpers. The In a six-man, you don't get any time where one of the headbangers are in there for five or six or seven minutes in a row. It's just everybody in for kind of a minute for two. They The heels work on Taka for a little while. And King calls him uh, Taka Michi No Clue, which is one of his better ones. And uh, eh, hot tag. Both of the headbangers come in. They do some tag team... Um, Tandem offense slamming Taka on Kai and Tai Taka hits the Michinoku driver I think you hit it Six minutes didn't even get to seven But it was a pretty quick pace Fun opener crowd liked it I, This was a match that was definitely one When I looked at I was like ah, And it was much better than I was expecting I feel like when wrestling fans Remember Kai and Tai They remember the addition of Kai and Tai With Taka and Funaki mm-hmm. And that was entertaining but don't forget that this iteration of Kai and Tai had Dick Togo and Men's Teo, who were very, very, very good workers. They have a body of work in Japan that's second to none, and both of them had very long careers. You had Funaki, of course, who was no slouch in the ring as well. But you hit it. This was a perfect use of the headbangers because they didn't have a whole lot of depth to their move set, but it was literally hit two or three moves, move on to the next part of the match. This was really cool couple of things. They announced the Headbangers and Takamishinoku at a combined weight of 687 pounds. I had a problem with that. Takamishinoku soaking wet maybe weighs 170. So you're telling me that both <laughs> of even, the Headbangers that weigh great. 250, <laughs> 260? No. Just no. no. It's yeah. not as bad as the AWA trying to promote Baron Von Raschke as 310 pounds yeah. when he was 50 years old and was maybe 220. But it's you can see it from there. Taka hits a couple of really good moves in this match, including a beautiful no-hand springboard onto the floor. That's really cool stuff. And that's something that people are emulating today. It's a case where he was ahead of his time. And if you bring him back, 
again, put him in a time machine, advance in 15 years, put him in the Cruiserweight Classic and put him on 205 Live. He'd fit right in. That's how good of a worker Takami Shinoku was. Good line from Jerry Lawler saying, poor Teo grew up idolizing Terry Funk. So a pretty good shot there. Yeah. Togo does a baseball slide into a head scissors. That's a pretty innovative spot that you don't get to see very often. Yeah, that was, I was pretty sh- awesome. I was shocked. And these dudes, they're doing this in like jeans and stuff too, because that's yeah. part of their gimmick. They're, these guys are good. They can, I, yep. I was like pleasantly surprised yeah, with this and, start. And Taka pins Funaki after the Mishinoku driver. So the crowd gets a chance to pop right away. As openers go, this was textbook. This was yeah. good stuff. Uh, commentary talks about the Al Snow and Head versus Too Much match from later So we'll get plenty of those Al Snow Head uh, references, jokes, puns uh, coming up in just a little bit We got a huge pop from the crowd next Because here comes Sable She is all in leather as she introduces Mr. McMahon And he brought her back So now he's kind of having her as as like his... Um, his following him around and sort of like his valet to 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 act to the heel part because everybody loves Sable, so you put her with heel Vince McMahon, they're gonna hate him even more. And Vinny comes out with the Stooges, uh, Briscoe and Patterson. Crowd just going insane for Stable, and you get big boos for Vinnie Mac. Jerry calls the King calls it a, a standing boovation, and Pat Patterson. So they get into the ring. And Pat Patterson goes to escort Sable from the ring I thought this was kind of funny Only because we all know that Pat Patterson is gay He's not He's not someone who was like actually assaulting Sable Pat Patterson was the guy that the Macho Man used to make Follow Elizabeth around and escort Elizabeth out to the ring In case anybody else would touch her So they kind of do a little funny joke where he, As she's leaving, he puts his hand on her butt And she turns around and smacks him And then, uh, you know, he grabs the mic and he screams A woman slapped me And then uh, he heals off a little bit Briscoe grabs the mic and he heals off And um, and then here comes Vince This was the, the thing that I found strange This was not something you generally see in the ring uh, and we saw this in the ring with Vince And then we saw it later with Paul Bear Also coming down to the ring Cutting an in-ring promo for a few minutes I wonder if they just didn't have a whole ton Because J- um, JR actually mentions There were two bonus shows added So maybe they needed a little to fill a little bit and, and, Or who knows, maybe this is just part of part of you know Getting some heat on the Some more heat for the title match He says if you joined us to see uh, the WWF title change hands tonight Or Stone Cold defeated Or many of you have joined us to see Kane set himself on fire He said if that's the case You will be disappointed Like your lives Which is a symphony of disappointments I thought that was a good line Symphony of disappointments um, He says everyone is disappointment to their parents He wants to prepare everyone for when Austin is defeated This is pretty basic heel stuff And we gotta remember McMahon has only really been heel McMahon now For about six Six and a half months so he's still He's still figuring some things out It's not like nowadays where he's Or even you know up until you know the last five ten years He's got this character completely Molded he's still kind of throwing Some things at the wall seeing what's going to stick so He's just trying to get a little more heat on the title Match here This segment hit me as a ski slope The best part was when Sable Came out She slaps Patterson that's still pretty good Vince grabs the Microphone and he starts rolling. First of all, the storyline with Vince and Sable went nowhere. Yeah, there that's a good point. No, there was no payoff. There was no Sable getting her comeuppance. There was no Sable officially turning heel. It was weird. It made no sense at the time. They just sort of dropped it and moved on to other stuff. 
this promo went eight minutes. It was way too long. Yeah. Eight freaking minutes in an era where WWF prided itself on, okay, if something's going to stink, it's going to stink really quick and we're going to move on to something else. This was the opposite of that. This was slow. This was brooding. I kept looking at my watch and I understood what Vince was trying to do, but he didn't need eight minutes and a full entrance to do it. This just seemed like a big waste of time. Really, it really did. And so we get to Ken Shamrock versus Double J. So we are to the final four. The King of the Ring tournament started with 16. It is now down to four. And the final four of the King of the Ring now are Double J, who's going to face Ken Shamrock, and The Rock, who's going to face Dan Severn. And they did a really good job with this, Andrew, because they had just brought Dan Severn in. And what they were teasing here was a King of the Ring final with Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn because they had already faced, they had already fought a couple of times in the UFC prior to this. So they were building off of a real life feud between the two um, at, at the time. And then Dan Severn was also going to be in the uh, the overlap with the NWA that they were having at the time, where we saw the NWA tag champs later on the show and Jim Cornette bringing the NWA in. So it worked on a couple different. In a couple different ways, but that was not going to be the case for the final. And the thing about Severn is, we'll we'll talk about him in a minute. You know, when we get there, he just he didn't quite have a personality and connect. And, and Ken Shamrock wasn't someone who was going to go out there and cut you a twenty minute promo, but he def he connected and had just more natural charisma in the ring than someone like a, a Severn, who we'll get to in a minute. Let's talk Shamrock Double J first, though. Um, showing you the times A sign in the crowd says Double J ain't he gay And and King Points it out and he says He wasn't out in California in all those parades It's like ugh the cringy comment You just can't make something like that 20 years later Tennessee Lee introducing Double J And we got a quick start Double J attacks early Some back and forth pretty fast pace Ken knocks Double J outside um, JR says that uh, Talks about Shamrock's background he ran away from home at 10. He never knew his father sleeping in cars. And uh, he mentions the difference between Double J, whose family was rich and he never had to work for anything, versus Shamrock, who got, you know, earned everything on his own. And Tennessee's Lee's getting involved. They work on Shamrock's ankle. And then Shamrock wins it with an ankle lock. Jarrett taps really, really quickly. And after the match, Tennessee Lee gets a belly to belly. This match to me is like a microcosm of Double J's career. It's a solid match. I think it's slightly above average, but it's nothing spectacular. It's not it's only, you know, five and a half minutes. It's not meant to even be spectacular. It's just a good match, a fine match on a wrestling show that didn't bother me and you know, didn't go too long to be offensive. It just to me I felt like, oh yeah, this match is just pretty double pretty much double J. I'm gonna say it. It's one of my favorite digs at anybody in the wrestling business. Jeff Jarrett broke a thousand guitars. Never drew a dime. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. As vicious as that line is, it's accurate. With Jarrett, you got the sense of, okay, this guy looks like he's supposed to be good. He's a good worker. He's a good talker. He checks a lot of boxes. But I never got the sense that he had it. 100%. And the problem with him is, While you want guys like that in the upper mid card, they're never going to be taken seriously as main event guys. WCW in its latter days 
tried to push Jarrett as a top heel. And that just did not work. It was not feasible. They tried to make him into a star. It didn't take. And they didn't stop with it either. They kept going pretty much until the promotion's dying days. And while that's far from the only thing they did wrong in that time frame, it just felt forced. Jarrett comes out here. And Tennessee Lee does do the intro. Jarrett gets the pyro. But there's not a lot of reaction to him. There is, however. That's him. That's just him too, right? Yeah. And there is a lot. There is, however, a big reaction to Shamrock. Shamrock had it in spades. This was a guy who already had the crossover recognition that a lot of people in WWF at the time really wanted. And they'd wound up getting it. But Shamrock had it first. And even though... He had been shafted a couple of times in that storyline with Rock and the Nation. He was still legitimately over. He's a good worker, maybe a little bit on the sloppy stiff side, but you didn't want to mess with this guy. And he was small enough to where he could go and try to do certain things with smaller workers. He tries to do a Rana near the end of this match. It didn't particularly work, but you got why he tried it. And, and he's hit a, not, he hits a few yeah. that are good. He hits some good ones, but but you know he's still figuring it out. And um, I, to me, Andrew, on the last few months that we've been doing this, if I were to make a top five list of who has stood out to me most on the rewatches, Shamrock would be on that. As far as someone who I always knew and remember him being hot, but when we rewatch every time every match he's in, he's he does a good job. The crowd's really into him. He feels bigger. Than, than how he was booked in a lot of the shows we watch He feels like he's a main event star That he is almost on the level With so, getting reaction With some of the guys in the two main events So, I mean, I, on a short list I think as many Brett matches as we've watched It's hard to, and Owen matches too It's hard to find bad ones with the two of them He would be on that short list with me I think Shamrock, you know, and he wins this And he, he moves on to the final And he continues that, that good rivalry he has Through, you know, the end of 97 And throughout 98 with The Rock he just this time right here, he was hot. He he did everything pretty well. Again, even he's not the best promo, but he's fine. He gets his point across and he's very believable. Yeah, and that's the thing. He comes across as the guy you don't want to mess with. And that's a big reason why I've kept saying if you put Ken Shamrock from that time period into a time machine and put him into current day WWE. With UFC as big as it is and as big as MMA has become, he would be a legitimate main event guy. I mean, you think about Bobby Lashley and everything he's been able to do with the WWE. Shamrock would have been five times the star, and that's scary. He'd be a smaller Brock Lesnar. Throw Heyman with him. I'm not, can you imagine? Like oh him, my goodness! Yeah, just Lesner somebody talking for him. As, yeah, Lesnar and Shamrock as a tag team killing people. Oh my uh, gosh! Hook yeah. it into my veins right Please. now. Please, this Please. match though, I think you hit it. It was fine. It wasn't necessarily anything special. I forget who had this line because, like an idiot, I didn't write down who said it. But someone said Tennessee Lee was sweating like Jimmy Swaggered at a deposition. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. But as a whole. It was just there. Shamrock was going to work a 10, 12 minute match later on in the show. So this wasn't going to be all that long for what it was designed to do. It was fine. It's not like I thought it was a great match or whatever, but it wasn't offensive. Next up, um, we get the rocks music. We get a big ovation for the rock and it's rock versus Dan, the beast Severn. 
And this one only goes 425 And this, there's some mat wrestling early Severn's in charge it, we're, we're seeing Severn kind of slightly getting the advantage Trying to use his um, his wrestling skill against The Rock Rock's getting a little bit frustrated it, it, That's really about it Then the Nation distracts the ref D'Lo comes off the top rope with the chest protector The storyline there was that Dan uh, the Beast had eliminated D'Lo From the King of the Rings So they had a little feud with the, with the Nation Rock covers and um, one little funny thing is After D'Lo hits the frog splash He gets he rolls back out of the ring And he goes to hop the barricade and run through the fans And he almost trips I, ch- I chuckle there just when you see things like that happen He almost trips while he's jumping the railway On the way out And then um, The Rock cuts a small promo po- uh, Post match It's funny Andrew All of this goes about 6 minutes When that McMahon thing went 8, 825, this whole Rock and Severn entrances, the match, and even the Rock little post-match promo, it's 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 hard to even really, because it, it's just not a whole lot, it's more angle than it is really match. I gotta tell you, I hated this match, and it I didn't hated do the anything. match that yeah. came after it. Rock is mega over as a heel, and you can see, he might not necessarily be main event Rock yet, he's not far off. That guy had a meteoric rise up the card once they figured out what to do with him. Dan Severin, not so much. Yes, you bought him for his legitimate fighting credentials. Yes, he had arguably the best mustache in the history of the WWF. Dude couldn't work. And that was shocking because usually when you get guys with either amateur wrestling experience or MMA experience, there are certain things that they can do really, really well. Severn was clumsy. And this wasn't the only time you would see a clumsy Dan Severn in the ring. Rock had the character stuff down. He was already over as a character. As a worker, he couldn't really lead another guy yet. He would, of course, eventually get to that point. He just wasn't there yet. And he had to lead this match and it wasn't very good. Nope. Nation comes out and distracts the ref. D'Lo comes out in the first appearance of the belly protector. Which was great. How long now, did he have this thing for till 2000 maybe? I mean, this well, thing was on forever. <laughs> the reason he had it is because he was probably the skinniest obese guy I think I have ever seen. Because there were times in the late 90s D'Lo Brown, believe it or not, and it's tough to imagine it if you watch because he carried it better than just about anybody I've ever seen. There were times he was well over 300 pounds Mm -hmm. and it took him a long time to drop the weight. And that's why he had the chest protector that. And also it acted as a similar purpose to when Cowboy Bob Orton had the arm cast for about five years. Um, but the arm injury that never healed So it made for a pretty Owen, Owen had the avenue. cast for a while too I think yeah. where he was doing something similar it's a, good, it's a great thing for a heel It's a good, yeah. it's a good addition for a heel You don't stick. necessarily put it on a main event guy But as a mid-card, upper mm-hmm. mid-card comedy thing It works and it works fine D'Lo hits that great frog splash That he had while the ref's back is turned Rock wins, he cuts the promo and This just seemed like a formality to me They were trying to push the possibility Of Shamrock and Severin in a wrestling ring. Well, not only did that never happen, I don't think a lot of people really wanted it to happen because if you read up on their MMA clashes, those MMA matches that they had were some of the most boring MMA matches in the history of the sport 
one of them gets talked about yeah go ahead yeah the yeah the dance in detroit i believe they call it when they got told the day of the match that no headbutts and no closed fist punches to the head otherwise you're going to be arrested it was uh yeah it's safe to say we got shamrock and rock and it turned out just fine the way that it was but there was no suspension of disbelief as far as who was going to win this once Shamrock defeated Jarrett to win his semifinal. We wind up getting Shamrock Rock version about 900. But this one would actually have a clean finish. Yeah, this was sort of the comeuppance. smile to my face. Yes. Yeah, I, forgot, I, I kind of forgot. <laughs> that, I, that well, that's actually... the thing. They didn't go far enough with it. Mm-hmm. But it does, at the very least, tie the storyline up a bit better than their Royal Rumble and WrestleMania matches. Unfortunately, we didn't get there quite yet because we have the Al Snow head stuff. And Gino, I'm going to let you lead this because I'm pretty (laughs) well disgusted with everything that went down because this was a hard, horrible watch. So, um, yeah, so we get Al Snow, and for those of you who don't remember what was going on in wrestling at this time, he was bringing with him around a mannequin head, just a severed mannequin head. What does everybody want? And so all what you could tell that Vince McMahon and Vince Russo, or if Russo is still here right now, or is he gone already? I think he's still there. I think he's still here. Yeah, this is mid ninety eight. I think he went over to WCW in late ninety eight or early ninety nine. Yeah, that's what I thought. So. You could tell this is something that has just got some of the guys in the back cracking up and laughing And I will say about Al Snow He is fine in the ring Al Snow is pretty creative overall He likes the, the, the business, he likes the sport He's someone who's had a bunch of different roles and a bunch of different characters So this was a character where he's you know kind of a crazy guy He's talking to this mannequin head and he responds and he answers back and forth to it So you're going to get a ton of Head references where they just say the word head, and it's it's it is kind of cringy to watch when you're young and when you're a kid. There are watching through the match, there are one or two of them that make me laugh that are kind of creative the way they get there and set it up, but then it's just like anything, it feels forced, it feels like they're trying to do it too much to get you to laugh over and over and over. They're trying to be edgy just to be edgy, so. We get the uh, the backstage It's the build up And so before they were too cool As Andrew mentioned they were too much This is Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor and we know Them and they would have the fun tag team And they'd be great babyface tag team For a couple years with Rikishi They'd come out and dance but they hadn't found their footing Yet and remember Brian Christopher He is the son of Jerry the King Lawler So we're going to get um, JR Talking a lot about that relationship there So Al Snow's backstage And he's actually talking to Jerry the King Who's still sitting ringside And he talks to King Al Snow says Head don't lay down for anybody Boys get ready Because you're about to get a little head Like you've never gotten it before Oh god Then JR says As uh, the the, uh, Here comes Al Snow No music And he comes with uh, out with head And the crowd starts to chant And JR says uh a lot of head fans out here Yeek So King J- uh, Jerry the King gets announced as a special guest ref Al Snow Has a um, head He's sitting on the ring post uh, In the corner so he's just got him placed up there And 
Jerry the King is the you know the special guest ref, so he's going to be real heely and cheat, help his son cheat, and help the the heel team cheat. So um, I thought the one move was kind of cool. Al Snow hit a sunset flip off the top rope, which looked pretty solid. King with the slowest three count ever. Al Snow getting upset at, at Jerry, who's you know not counting and who's obviously um, slanting towards the uh, the heel side. Al slams uh, Brian Christopher outside the ring in the aisle, and then he starts to walk back to the dressing room. JR with a funny one here Where's Al going? Who knows where he's going? Who knows where he's been? <laughs> and uh, Al just gets a full head of steam And then he runs and he, he uses it to build up some momentum For his attack on Brian Christopher uh, The heels turn this around They gain the advantage J- And then JR, I think he gets either. I'm not sure if he's fed up with it Or if he's being told Or if he's just getting uncomfortable with saying head all the time Because now he starts saying the head Sometimes instead of just saying head um, some innovative offense though from Al Snow He then tags in head And he comes in And he's using the the Mannequin head to knock His opponents He hits the snow plow which is his finishing move But the king will not count JR says it's because head is the legal man So Jerry goes to Get the ring Leaves the ring He goes to the side and he gets something We can't really tell what he gets It just looks like a little white sort of bottle Brian Christopher then gets it From Jerry He attaches it to the head King comes in and he counts the one, two, three Andrew It was a bottle of head And shoulders Because you can't pin the head Because his shoulders weren't down But when you attach a bottle of head and shoulders To him, you can pin him I just picture Vince McMahon in the back (laughs) Head and shoulders (laughs) Hey, Gino, I'm going to do the Mick Foley bit here. What's the difference between Al Snow and the Hundred Years' War? <laughs> the difference is, at some point, the One Hundred Years' War was over. That's what this match felt like. That's what the promo before it felt like. Now, for those of you who are unaware... Mick Foley and Al Snow are friends. Mm. Foley takes a lot of playful shots at Al Snow. There's another really good one where he talks about going to Philadelphia to see the Liberty Bell. He says the guards would take them to a secret vault and hidden away from the general public under lock and key was the only tape in the world of Al Snow's one good match. There's some really good stuff that Mick Foley says about Al Snow, and you can take a look at that in the stand-up. But this was Al Snow before he got over He discovered head in ECW. He found something that worked. And when ECW was about to put the title on him, WWF called. So they had to do an audible. And if you have never seen Wrestlepalooza 1998, just don't. Because that was supposed to be Al Snow's big coronation. And they had to call an audible because he was headed up to WWF. There is also a Rob Van Dam Sabu match on that show that sounds tremendous and winds up being one of the worst matches in the history of both guys' careers. Trust me, do not spend time on the network looking for that show. Do not spend time on the network watching that show. This has been your public service announcement paid mm-hmm. for by Andrew Champagne and the sanity of all wrestling fans everywhere. Now, this match got eight minutes and 26 seconds. It felt double that. It did. This was a tough watch. For a lot of different reasons. Too cool without the gimmick? No thanks. Al Snow without being over? No thanks on that. 
Snow dumps Taylor out of the ring. And Taylor kicks Brian Christopher on the way down. That had to be a botch. There's no way that was planned. And Taylor caught Christopher flush in the face. You've got to look at it about halfway through the match, but he dumps him there. And then right after that, Taylor gets back in the ring, snows on the floor. Taylor botches a dive. And it's ugly because he was a pretty smooth worker in the right settings. He just had an awful night here. Christopher tried. Snow tried. Lawler tried in his typical over-the-top way, but I can't imagine how tough it would have been to be in the arena for this match because if you're in one of the cheap seats in Pittsburgh's arena and you look down and you see Brian Christopher fiddling with something, putting it on the bottom of this mannequin head and making a cover, how are you supposed to know that that's a shampoo bottle, a head and shoulders shampoo bottle? Yeah, I know. How are you supposed to it's... follow this when it's confusing for the person watching it on television with all the camera angles that they had? There was so much wrong with this. And the way that they reintroduced Al Snow to the WWF was peculiar at best. It I sounds good like, on paper, yeah. right? It's like, oh, head and shoulders. You put the shoulders on. It's one of those things that like somebody pitches in the meeting and everybody kind of gets a laugh out of it. But then when you see it done in front of you, somebody had to have just like as it was going on, call it audible or something. Just, oh, this isn't going to work. This is different because it just it didn't. And and the one thing I think that hurt this match, not that it was going to ever be a good match or anything, too. It went a little too long, but I think. It felt like the my three least favorite things on the show all came in about a 35 30 minute period in a row. That 8 minutes with McMahon in the ring, which is a little too much. I didn't like the Rock Severn stuff, which was just a 5 or 6 minute waste. And then this, you put them all together in a row and and this is at the end of that and it starts to feel flat. And then the show picks back up for the second half of the show where there's, you know, five more matches and they're all Either good or hot or have main eventers But there was a a definite 30 plus minute lull Right here in the show after Two okay Like a a hot opener Nothing wrong with the Shamrock Jarrett It was just There just seemed like some bad all in a row That I didn't love Yeah it was uh, It it was not good And this was a stretch of maybe 30-45 minutes That on the whole was not good The best part of it was the Shamrock Jarrett match And that wasn't great either if you skip from the moment Sable slaps Pat Patterson to the X-Pac Owen Hart match, it's a pretty darn good show. Yeah. The problem is you got to work through a lot of stuff to get from point A to point B. And, and with Brian Christopher and, and Scotty too hot and, and uh, Scott Taylor, they, they were good. They were fun. They were, they had a good act when they, when they were baby faces as heels, he just he they're they're still trying to find things like you said it, it's a little too much he's doing the goofy laugh stuff a little much and it's more it's almost some of the go away heat than actual heat you know of of good guy bad guy heat it's like ah we just don't really care about this kind of get, move on and we moved on to a match that man I loved this match the first like I said it's an eight minute thirty second match and the end there's there's a botch that I don't love but. Seven minutes of this thing, Owen versus X-Pac We get the build-up package And uh, and then X-Pac with China Good Pac for, uh, good pop for X-Pac As DX is now newly turned baby faces King rejoins commentary And JR, I love when they do little things like this This is reminding me of something that Gorilla would have said He asked him, who gave him a one-night referee's license? Um, Owens with the Nation 
this is one of those weird things too because he was the black heart. It's like, oh, that's you know, ugh. but uh, enough is enough, and it's time for a change in the start of Owen Hart's music. He uh, tried to be a nice guy. Uh, X Pac starts this out quickly. Baseball slide through the ropes before the bell even rings, and so boom, we're started right away. Owen gets into the ring. Quick start. Owen moves. X Pac goes for kind of Bronco busting into the ropes. Then Owen whips him into the buckle a few times Really, really hard So the first minute, that's just boom, 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 boom Really quick Owen with a spinning heel kick Then X-Pac tosses him into the turnbuckle Chest first, as only the hearts do in that awesome way And I will say Owen is massive here He's huge He's super thick He still can go, but he's not I mean, he's way bigger than the Owen from 94 That we remember in the main events here This is this is big Owen he, And he's laying in some chops He hits a fisherman suplex Then a gut wrench And JR is going through Owen's credentials And his titles And uh, King uh, even says He's even been a king And then JR says He's the youngest of Stu and Helen Hart's 12 children And I thought this was really good And Jerry the King says Oh don't mention that That's the only thing I don't like about him <laughs> Which is funny <laughs> He's always he's always taking the shots at the hearts um, These two go at it outside the ring Owen tosses uh, X-Pac who goes absolutely flying into the timekeeper area when they're outside on a reversal? This was an awesome looking bump. He goes right into the railing, but then boom, Owen goes right to him, gets him back in. This match is so, so fast. These guys are working. There is they're not taking any time in between, no bump. I mean, just boom, 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 no skipping beats. They mentioned how Owen got nine staples in the back of his head. X-Pac actually hits an X-Factor bef- I think it's before it's the X-Factor Because JR doesn't call it that yet And that, that's a move that becomes one of his finishing moves He then goes for a spinning heel kick And then Owen blocks it So X-Pac uses his other leg And he hits a Bronco Buster And then there's the weird spot I mean everything up until this weird spot Is excellent, I love But they're both on the top rope And X-Pac gets pushed And falls crotch first off the side, it looks like they were going to do a superplex or something. He falls and he goes, you know, get he gets hung up on the ropes, and then Owen just kind of falls backwards and takes a back bump off the top rope. It was like a botch that something was supposed to happen. I almost wonder Mark Henry comes running down to the ring late. Like, did he miss a spot where he was supposed to come up and get involved? Then he, um. He it kind of reminded me of Papa Shango WrestleMania 8 with Sid. Was there a spot missed? He splashes Pac on the outside. China gets in Mark Henry's face. And then Vader comes out of nowhere to go after Mark Henry. Owen puts X-Pac in the sharpshooter. And then the refs are distracted by China. Uh, distracted. China comes in. She hits a DDT. X-Pac gets the win. There's a lot of a lot going on in the last minute and a half here. The first seven minutes was just a Getting to a classic I I loved And then we get the, the schmoz And there's a lot of stuff Like a lot of overbooking Because this was Nation versus DX stuff And we're getting into You know Factions warfare And you get Vader out there too In China So there's a lot going on But I It, it almost felt like two different matches to me The first You know Seven minutes And then the last 90 seconds Yeah And that's a really good way to put it This was one of Sean Waltman's first matches back in the WWF. He rejoined WWF after getting fired by WCW earlier in the year. He came back right after WrestleMania 
That was when Triple H brought him out to essentially replace Shawn Michaels after Triple H is, in Triple H's words, Shawn dropped the ball in the main event. So it was clear that they wanted to do something with Waltman. And it made sense to put him with Owen because Owen had been working with the other members of DX for what seemed like forever. After the Montreal Screwjob, he worked with Sean a little bit. He worked with Triple H at WrestleMania. So he's working his way down DX's list. Waltman's bump into the chairs at, at ringside was really good. I liked Lawler's line right after saying, you know what was bad about that? He missed Howard Finkel. I thought that was a really good <laughs> line funny. and he a did. good way to give Howard Finkel a little bit of a head nod <laughs> there. X-Pac gets what would be known as the Bronco Buster to not a lot of reaction. And Owen didn't really know what to do with it because mm-hmm. X-Pac missed him by yeah. a good two, three feet. He's like low. Owen's like falling down, like way down. He's barely getting his head. Yeah. Yeah. And Owen, to his credit, still sells the move. But it's just a horrible camera angle that sort of exposes everything that's going on with that. Thankfully, X-Pac would work out the kinks there, and that would wind up being a, a pretty big part of his act moving forward. Gino, it's a good match with a good pace and two really good workers. I just found it really hard to care because they didn't do a ton with X-Pac above the mid-card level after this. And in a couple of months, Owen Hart would have the Owen Hart incident that unfortunately would wind up ending his life. The overbooked ending certainly didn't help matters. You mentioned all of the layers and all of the things that were going on. I, honestly, I would have just as soon preferred everyone running out and it being a double DQ and being a big schmoz yeah. because the way that it happened, just there was way too much going on. Yep. Vader is there for some reason. I don't know why, because he's not in either faction. The referee has to go outside the ring. China comes in and hits a good DDT on Owen. X-Pac winds up winning, and that's that's fine, I, I guess, because we've already established that they have no main event plans for Owen. It was okay. I didn't like the match as much as you did. I acknowledge that they brought the working boots for it, but the last couple of minutes to me really put a damper on the whole thing. Then we get Paul Bear coming out, and we get another in-ring promo, which makes me think again that they, you know, they, maybe they're just needing a few extra minutes here tonight. He said he wouldn't miss this night for the world. He took a beating from Taker. He curses Undertaker. Damn you, Undertaker! Damn you to hell! And uh, he tells more of Kane's story, how they would be watching Undertaker on Saturday morning superstars. And he says he will be the father and the manager of the new WWF champion, which he was for one night. <laughs> for one night. This Again, this was just something that we would generally see backstage. Yeah, and I get why they did this. I don't get why Paul Bearer needed an entrance for this. No. There was some good foreshadowing going on here, though. Mm-hmm. Paul Bearer mentions how Kane wanted to be like his brother when he grew up. That sounds bizarre, especially considering that his brother, you know, may or may not have tried to kill him when he was a kid. <laughs> Just saying. I'm not going to go back and, and review the promo that King cut with Dr. Shelby, but it's on YouTube if you'd like to stop and play along. However, later in the year, as ridiculous as it would sound, The Undertaker and Kane would team up to both pin Steve Austin. It was at a breakdown pay-per-view, and it would wind up that for some weird reason, they were in cahoots to try to get the title off of Austin. Really confusing stuff, 
But if you try to connect the dots, there was some foreshadowing here. Decent promo by Paul Bearer. Nothing we haven't seen before, but mm-hmm. he was pretty good on the mic. So I, I you know, it, yeah, I, it didn't, can't, it, I can't complain too much. It's not, nothing bad. It just seemed no. It just seemed like weird that this was not backstage and this was out in the ring, especially for someone who has it takes a, it takes a while to get down to the ring too. It's it's a few minutes for Paul to walk down there. Um, yeah. Uh, next up, this I agree with you on this as we get to the second half of the show. The the tag team match, which they said was one of these matches that was a bonus match that was added early in the morning, is the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, the tag team champions, WWF tag team champions, with the New Midnight Express. We've got Bodacious Bart. And Bombastic Bob So we got Bodacious Bart Gunn And Bombastic Bob Hawley With Jim Cornette Two guys that we knew from the WWF uh, Just from years prior and The Smoking Guns with Bart Gunn And Bob Hawley was Crash Or uh, was Hardcore Hawley But before that he was Sparky Plug uh, As one of his first ones to come in And he was you know uh, the, the race car driver Bob Hawley And he becomes Hardcore Hawley this this Andrew felt like a, a good old school tag match. Oh, we got to go first before we get to the match. Oh, you didn't know? Da-da-da-da. Call somebody. Pittsburgh, you and the New Age Outlaws are going to get along just fine. Because as you can see, my partner, badass, is harder than steel, and my rap can melt it. <laughs> so uh, they're still they're still you know. Getting their their intro their entrance um, you know polished and Jr says this is the second bonus match and then he says uh, that uh, Road Dog says ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages Degeneration X proudly brings to you and accompanied to the ringside area by the ninth wonder of the world China we are the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions of the World the Road Dog Jesse James the badass Billy Gunn the new age Outlaws And you know I will say Road Dog doesn't get enough credit When they, they talk about the great talkers Of all time He was never a main event worker But he had a main event mouth Yeah and he was also a heck of a singer too If you remember he was. Smash hit alone with In my baby nine days Working hard on the go But the hand <laughs> That wasn't a challenge Gino <laughs> God your poor girlfriend And your poor <laughs> poor son My goodness uh. Anyway so, first of all, I don't know who was bodacious and who was bombastic. I was tempted to say you got that backwards, but who knows and who really cares? However, the timing on this I found fascinating because this was right before Bart Gunn won the Brawl for All. Mm-hmm. They were just starting that a couple of weeks after that. The next the first- night on Monday Night Raw is the yeah. first is, is when it starts because I watched the next night because I wanted to see some of Austin winning the title back and I always like to see the fallout from some of the shows that we watch so sometimes I'll watch the show before you know the go home show or the the show after and yeah it started the next night yep and it was a case where the first round matchup was actually Bob Holly against Bart Gunn yeah and Bart Gunn tells the story of how. After these guys had just fought for real, they had to get in a car, travel to the next town, go into a hotel room, and then the next night, work a tag match together. How awkward is that? Awkward. Yeah. That's yeah. A- now, and the thing is, that's only the second most awkward note on this match about Bart Gunn. Forgive me. Who was the second half of the New Age Outlaws? What was his name? Billy Gunn. 
They were supposed to be brothers. <laughs> you know how many times that gets mentioned in the match? <laughs> None. Uh, Gee, what a coincidence that we have two guys with the last name Gunn on the other side of the ring. JR, do these guys have any history? Crickets. Um, So it was, uh, that was weird, but this was a really solid match. And to the credit of Bob Holly and Bart Gunn, two guys that were in the mid-card level and were never going to be seen as anywhere near a threat to Road Dogg and Billy Gunn, they got the crowd into this match. Road Dogg may have played the best Ricky Morton of his career here because he takes a pretty good beating. Billy Gunn gets a hot tag and JR calls him a hoss. <laughs> I don't know if I would call Billy Gunn a hoss, just and not the right necessarily build for that. He had a good line uh, about Jim Cornette saying that Cornette's dream is to die in his own arms because he loves himself. <laughs> That's a good line. However, J.R. Goofs, late in this match, China comes in, hits the low blow, and says, she hit her. Oh, yeah. She hit who? Yeah. She hit him. No, yeah. <laughs> and it made sense a little bit because it was a chaotic finish to the match. Yeah. That was retained after the double-team stun gun that they hit. But this was a good, solid tag match, and it got my mood back up a little bit after sitting through all of the stuff for the prior hour. As we mentioned, this might have been the New Age Outlaws' last really good tag team match because after this, they sort of realized, hey, wait a minute, this gimmick's getting over. We don't necessarily have to do a lot of work in the ring in order to stay over. Now, I'm sure that was smart on their parts because, hey, Less work, less bumps you have to take, more power to you. From a work great perspective, if you want to see a good New Age Outlaws match, cue this up, because this is pretty darn good. Yeah. And so King says he likes DX because they're like South Park, Beavis and Butthead, and The Simpsons. They're cool. They say what's on their mind. Um, Billy hits a famouser early in this match at one point before it's his finisher. Um, huge clothesline, a clothesline, then the suck it's Yeah, it's 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 good. And um, the the Midnights have the advantage for a while, kind of old school heels working over the baby faces. And um, there is one moment, and I I, re- I rewound it like four or five times just to make sure. So Bob Hawley has Road Dog down, and he does the suck it to him. And I'm not joking. He says, suck it, F you. He just drops an F bomb right on him. Just a heart. Like, and you can hear it. And if you know Bob, and I, and it, I knew it was real because it was Bob Hawley and all the rumors about Bob Hawley and, and what a, like, a badass he was backstage and how he would, you know, he didn't mind going after you in the ring. And, and, and you know, he, he was a tough, tough dude. So suck it, F you. <laughs> when he does the, uh, the mimic crotch chop to them. Uh, Billy comes in, JR is continuing to build up the main events for later on And one thing I liked what JR did throughout the entire night He really um, put over the cell How important the cell is, how ominous the cell is What has happened when we've seen only twice before people have gone into the cell Two weeks before they had a tag match on Raw With the four men from the main event, two on two, in a cell And the only other cell match we'd seen was that Undertaker-Shawn Michaels bad blood match back in 97 That was so awesome So 
we he's doing a really good job of setting up how ominous this thing is and you mentioned what happens at the end things get out of hand Cornette comes in he hits Billy in the back of the head with the title belt Billy kicks out then Cornette tries to sneak in again Billy sees him China comes in from behind she hits Cornette with a low blow and the outlaws hit a double stun gun for the win they pick up the W there um next up we have the the final three matches it's the king of the ring final and then our double main event and uh, we get DX music As Triple H comes out here He's got a botch on this that is so funny um, When he's on commentary We'll talk about Triple H So he's still He definitely hasn't found his voice yet You know he's just turned He's really just becoming a main event guy He's not there yet at all And he's getting this big push After Shawn Michaels is gone He's the head of DX now He's still transitioning from the mid card To the upper mid, upper mid card Towards the beginning of you know into 99 2000 is when he really Feels like he belongs when he's up In the main event and uh, he, He's just trying a little too hard here You know with the cool guy stuff To say to say something that's going to get a laugh To say something that's going to be um, You know shock value And so he, get, he gets caught up A few times because he's trying to be really quick Witted and uh, we'll, we'll get to one in a minute he just he sounds So snossagey that was the word I wanted to write down like triple H like he's just it's forced um, First out the IC champ the rock Then comes Ken Shamrock And uh, Triple H says this is the WWF not old men stumbling Around the ring China a little shot at WCW there China is on with the Spanish commentary team And uh, JR She's talking with them she's speaking Spanish and JR asks what she's saying And Triple H says Something about Taco Bell they want to go to Taco Bell A burrito supreme and then this made me laugh so hard JR says to Triple H You mean you're not bilingual? And Triple H says back There's a lot of bi things I am But lingual is not one of them <laughs> And then he, he realizes what he says There's about a three second beat Where nobody says anything It's just silence And he goes Wait a minute did I just mean to say that? <laughs> and, and, JR says, well, I don't think you did so, but we're live. And you could tell they both just popped themselves. Like, he, it was funny. And it was just Triple H trying to be too quick, and he just got caught up in that, which is great. Um, so uh, The Rock goes out to trash talk Triple H, who then spits in his face. Triple H comes back and says, oh, testes, testes. I mean, so child. It's it just He's so shy. He's like a kid, you know. But the people loved the act. They did at the time. It fit. It, this is what people wanted. Um, Ken Shamrock throws the rock into the barricade, and then the rock kind of bounces off with a clothesline. That was something he did a lot of the time, which was cool when he got tossed into the ring or tossed into the uh, the um, uh, the ring post outside or into the ropes sometimes or into the turnbuckle. They, they worked a lot outside the ring. Ken was selling the ankle. Rock hits uh, the swinging net breaker, then a DDT for two. And then he starts to slow it down a little bit He puts him in a headlock JR talks about the athletes in the WWF How they compete when they're hurting And then this was another one Andrew just knowing what would happen In the next 22 years With Triple H He says that's what separates champions from losers Not how much you stro- Not how much stroke you got with the guy running the show It's not how much you can stick your nose up somebody's butt who's running the show It's about who's got what in that ring <laughs> Which is funny <laughs> For the boss's son You know years later to say But uh, we, we, we catch some funny things On these rewatches You mentioned the people's elbow earlier in the show 
And I mean, most of this match has been rock. It's it's pretty much all rock um, for most of it. And we get a near fall, and Jr. says it was just inches away. And Triple H says, "Why don't you run up there, drop your pants, and see how close it was?" <laughs> he can, so you know there are some that hit, but there are some that miss. Um, Rock hits this. I love the float over DV, uh, float over DDT. He would do. It would look smooth. He hits an awesome one for two, and then Shamrock fires back up. He hits a power slam. Rock again goes for that float over. Shamrock counters with a suplex for two. They get a little more back and forth. And then Shamrock catches Rock in the ankle lock for the win. 1998 King of the Ring, a clean win for Shamrock. He finally gets his clean win back after Royal Rumble, after WrestleMania. He'd, he'd been chasing the Rock and had this feud with the Nation all the way back since Survivor Series 97. So this is kind of his comeuppance. It just, unfortunately, on a, on a show with a couple other big moments, they didn't make this feel as big as it should have. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, Shamrock gets the win. Crowd pops. That's great. What happened for Shamrock after this? Not a whole heck of a lot, unfortunately. This was about as good as it got for Ken Shamrock in the WWF. And that's fine. There's not a lot of guys that get to that level and more power to him with everything else that he would wind up doing. But this was a good match and Shamrock deserved better. You hit a lot of things that I had written down on my notes. Uh, one Triple H line that I equal parts laughed and cringed at was, when you say he was a one-man band, do you mean he played his own instrument? <laughs> yeah, that was Just cringy stuff. And uh, admittedly, I laughed, but it's one of those things where you catch yourself and you're like, am I really laughing at this? Come on. Yeah. Uh, Lawler gets a pretty good line in talking about how when life hands you a lemon, throw it at someone. That's a good line. Uh Triple H gets a whiff by saying, there's not a person sitting down when everyone on the hard camera side is sitting down. Literally everyone. I hate that. That's become a pet peeve of mine. I understand announcers want to reflect that the crowd's going nuts, but don't tell us they're doing something we can see they're not doing. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and, um, and it what it does is that kind of a thing, it Loses your credibility a little bit Every time you do one of those things And that's like something that poor Michael Cole has had to deal with for years You know, he yep. just got to say things And sell all these things that we're not seeing And it just, it just like one more time When you do that, we kind of roll our eyes Yeah. Yep, the one other thing that I'll mention And this was a good match, I like this match You hit a lot of the high spots It looks like Rock gets Blown up about two thirds Of the way through the match And that's noteworthy because Rock never really got blown up mm -hmm. in anything that he did, but he got blown up here to the point where he hits a power slam and Shamrock actually has to help him a little bit. He jumps into it as mm -hmm. opposed to Rock picking him up and flipping him over. All Rock has to do is flip him over and land on top of him. Shamrock gets a fisherman suplex and it seems like Rock goes up like a ton of bricks because the landing was by no means smooth. This was a rarity. Rock usually did not get blown up. He was an exceptional athlete, of course. He started in football at the University of Miami, was a defensive tackle there. The guy never really got blown up, but he did on this night. And it's understandable. He worked two matches. He was working a decent length match with Shamrock. We get it. It's just, it's not something you see a whole heck of a lot of. But good match. Shamrock kind of, sort of gets his moment, maybe. 
but it gets overshadowed by the next match. And we have the double main event that comes up. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's his moment. But we even when we were even talking about the feud, we kind of forget about it because it doesn't feel it doesn't really happen on the big night, and it doesn't feel like. It, it, I think a lot of it just gets overshadowed by what ends up happening next. This is Hell in a Cell, Mankind versus The Undertaker. Andrew, just to give you an idea, this match has its own Wikipedia page. Yep. It, I mean, or an entire thing about the buildup, the happen, the aftermath, everything, which there are a ton of really important matches out there. And, and I don't, I think there's two or three that actually have their own page like this one does. The Cell lowers and JR. He's really laying on how insane these guys are And that this match could end careers And Mankind walks out with a chair And he what, Just all the little things I love that Foley did So he walks in the cell Kind of looks around Walks back out of the cell And then he grabs the chair He has the chair in his hand the whole time He tosses it on top of the cell And then he climbs on top He's on top of the cell when the Undertaker's music starts and then it goes black with Mick Foley on top of the cell. It, and JR and King are even talking like, that's scary. He's up there on top of the cell and the lights go out. Um, JR says, the pain these men are preparing to endure is inhuman. Taker climbs the cell and Mick tries not to let him get up top, it, which is real, right? Somebody's climbing up. You're going to go to meet him and try to, he tries to do that, but Taker fights him off and then he gets up on the cell. And we could tell right away This cell is not constructed like some of the The cells nowadays This one is loosey goosey up top This is only the third cell they've built This thing is sagging down with a couple of 300 pound guys up there Walking around so when they're on one part Of the cell there's 600 plus pounds Just standing up there starting to sag down And They step together and at one point They almost break through the cell Before they even hit and that would have been insane Before any of the big spots if they would Accidentally fallen through right there And you could tell King gets a little nervous He goes oh they're gonna go through And it in the it doesn't quite go all the way through It, it just like one staple of the cell Came out or, or something towards the top And And then we hear JR start to get a little bit Nervous too They Mankind goes to suplex Undertaker The Undertaker blocks him They're getting closer to the edge of the cell They've actually so, so far The Undertaker climbed up on the side of the cell Right by the entrance now they're on the opposite side of the cell Over by standing above where the commentary table is So they've basically made their way across the entire cell At this point And JR says My god don't get them over here where we are What's gonna happen? They're right above us folks and I don't like it a damn bit And then there goes Foley Taker I mean just in a nonchalant way Andrew He tosses him off the top of the cell just like he's throwing him over the top rope Eliminating him from the Royal Rumble I mean this is a bump That we will remember forever And we watch it Three or four different times back They go through all the different angles And then JR with one of the calls That we remember Can from I do him it? Please I do, do it? it Please do. Good God almighty They've killed him They've killed him As God is my witness he is broken in half. Nice, Thank nice. You. I thought that was all right. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> I like, and it's exactly what he what he said. I mean, broken in half. Good God, it's just awesome. Gives you goosebumps to hear Jr. say it, and and that's when we get serious voices. King and Jr. ask for some help, and Mick is just laying in the rubble 
the broken table. He goes flying into the Spanish commentary. So some of the the the, the guys on the Spanish commentary table, they're flying off. You know, they, they don't even really see this coming. They're moving out of the way and they get impacted with, with all sorts of stuff flying around. And and then um, Undertaker, or, or th- then uh, first before we get there, fully. I mean, he he hits square on his back. He bounces when they show it a few times. How much he bounces off that table, and Jr. says, "Someone will say they know how to fall. Give me a break." And they actually start raising the cage up while the Undertaker's on it. King King gets scared because he thinks the Undertaker is going to jump off onto Foley when when Undertaker walks up, and the Undertaker looks pretty badass. He's just standing up on the top of the cell, like staring down, like I did this. I did this to you, like I, you, you want more? I, he, he looks just like a beast there. Um, so they're trying to get a stretcher out to put Foley on a stretcher. So because the cell is so big and wide around the ring, they can't get a stretcher through where the cell is. So they have to raise the cell up in order to put Foley on the stretcher to try to stretcher him back. So we get uh, Terry Funk and some referees and some WWF officials out there. They end up putting Mankind on the stretcher and they start to, to stretcher him back. And JR apologizes, says, uh, the match has stopped. You know, I'm sorry. He, or he says, I think this match is over. And King goes, yeah, of course it's over. Come on. No, no, no. It was not quite over yet. So they, as, as the stretcher is back down the entranceway, about midway through the aisle, the all of a sudden we start to see uh, like some rumbling, and it's Foley jumping off of the stretcher, and he's walking back to the ring. He gets up, he's walking back to the ring, and he looks like he's smiling. And what had happened? Foley had actually mentioned that there was a hole in his face that he busted his mouth open. He was trying to stick his tongue through that hole. He thought it would look cool if he was able to do it, and he thought it would be some kind of a, a cool like picture. But it came off like he was smiling, and he wanted more as he's walking back. He's got his no- his tooth sticking out of his nose, which is one of the greatest things ever. Um, Andrew, even before he starts walking back down, Undertaker, which I thought was cool, he's climbing down the the cell before the cell is even to the floor. He just, these guys are not actors. These guys are not scared of a whole lot. You know, this, and we'll go back and forth a few more times because there's still more in the match. But even to this point, unbelievable that the guy gets back up and walks back to the ring with that look on his face that will always remember that creepy smile that JR says. He likes this. He wants more. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, Foley in his stand-up shows mentions that he thinks it's unfair that The Undertaker gets equal billing to him for the work that was done in this match. And he pantomimes everything The Undertaker did to get him off of the top of the cell. And it's basically him doing one part of the thriller dance, just moving both (laughs) of his arms. (laughs) Meanwhile, Mankind goes flying through the table, bounces off the floor, And the scary part is that one was planned. Mm -hmm. There's a chance J.R. and Jerry Lawler knew about that. That's one thing. Everything after this, not so much. You can't plan that because you just, you can't. You don't know. There's no way 
you can plan what you're going to respond and react to after you take that first bump. And it's one of those things where, okay, given what we know, if you're on top of that cage that already gave once and almost brought both guys down through the ring. Now, first of all, had they fallen down on that part of the cage, they might not have landed in the ring. No. That's the scary part. If the cage breaks and fully bumps, maybe he hits the ropes. Maybe he hits the apron. Maybe he hits the turnbuckle. Maybe he hits the stairs. We don't know. I'm thankful we don't know. Here's where it gets uncomfortable for me because we've sort of become desensitized to the big bumps from the top of the cage at this point. The first one... Yeah, it's a great bump. It's a big bump. But it's not anything we haven't seen since then. What gets me is Foley gets off the stretcher, which is one thing. He goes straight back up to the top of the cage. Climbs right back up! If this match happens today and the cell is giving that much, do you think anybody's going back to the top of that cage? Oh my gosh, no way. Absolutely not. He goes back into the cage for sure, inside in the ring, and that's where you finish the match. They went back up top. Taker climbs back up. They do their little exchange. Taker goes for a choke slam. Foley has said that that first fall took enough out of him to where it might have saved his life because Taker grabs the choke slam. Foley doesn't really get up for it. Nope. It sort of looks like a, a shove. Yeah. But had Foley gotten up for that, he might have over-rotated on the way down and landed on his head or neck. Yep. That could have killed him. It wouldn't have been that straight down fall. Like when right. he got pushed, he would have, like just like you said, over-rotated, circular. Think about like you're jumping off a high dive or something. You go a little too far and you just land in, be- you know, in that in-between spot. Think about Owen. That's all I got to tell you. Yeah. So yeah. Foley goes through. And at this point, everybody's rushing back out. Taker looks down through the hole. JR says, look at him. He likes this. He likes what he's doing. I'm not seeing that at all. I'm seeing Mark Calloway, not The Undertaker, and I'm seeing fear. Yeah. Because there's no way, shape, or form anybody could have planned that bump. Now, he comes down. Terry Funk comes down, and he comes down to A, check on Foley, but also by time. Yeah, because they don't know what's going on here. Yes, and you can see him improvising because Taker, it's a great choke slam on Terry Funk. He does, and Funk is selling it good. He's like, when he chokes him, he starts flailing around. Yeah, And I think the flailing around was more to distract Taker for just a couple of seconds than anything else, just to give Foley enough time to make sure he has his bearings. Now, having one's bearings in this sense... It, it, maybe that's not the best term, but at the very least, making sure that the light while dim was still on in there, that's probably the best way to do it. Because the big thing to remember here is 
we hadn't seen anything like this before. Ever. And we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot about it since. No. The SmackDown video games that were produced for the PS2 were some of the greatest things I have ever seen. And I loved it because if you had sufficient power and you landed certain moves on top of the cell, the cell would break and someone would go crashing down to the map below. That's as much of a legacy as I think anybody can expect to have. And it came about in just the most unexpected way imaginable to where Foley tells this story. And after this, uh, we'll get back to the match. But Foley tells the story of how, for a while, he went around and did anti-bullying seminars as part of the WWE's Be a Star campaign. And he would do this to middle and high school age students. And he would open the floor up for questions. And he would see a whole bunch of hands go up. And without fail, he would always say, before anyone asks, yes, it did hurt when Undertaker sent me through the cell (laughs) and three quarters of the hands in the room would go down. That's the legacy of McFoley. That's why we remember this match. And it's also why Vince McMahon after this match put a governor on what McFoley was allowed to do. And Foley explicitly says that probably added another year or so onto his career. And I can attest to this because maybe eight months later, I went to a WWF house show where Mick Foley was a headliner and he had said, I don't know if I'm going to be back here. Thank you for everything. Have a nice day. Well, as it turned out, he would go on through the Royal Rumble in 2000 when he came out as Cactus Jack and made Triple H as a bona fide main eventer. Mm -hmm. This, though, this is Foley's piece de resistance in the most Foley way imaginable. He... So he gets pushed through chokeslam. He falls through. And then immediately, Jerry the King says, that's it. He's dead. That's the first thing Jerry. I mean, and JR says, good God. Good God. Will somebody stop the damn match? Enough is enough. That poor son of a. And he stops. He's broken in half. And the Undertaker likes it. Is what you had said. And then Taker jumps down through the cell. When the when Funk and all the others come to check on mankind, and Taker chokes, uh, Taker chokes, slams Funk, and and then after this, they they have a match like for five six minutes. Mankind in, in, initially he looks so so out of it. Then somehow when Taker goes to the top rope to walk the ropes, Foley makes him fall. He bumps into it. We see the tooth sticking out of his nose. King asks what's sticking out of his nose at that point. Taker, um, he's using the steps to just go at after Foley, who is, it's like, how is this guy up walking around getting hit with steps right now? Um, Taker then goes for a dive through the ropes, and Foley moves, and, and the Undertaker goes straight into the cell. Then Mankind, he's, he's dishing out offense. He hits a pile driver on a chair for two. He's laying into the Undertaker. He puts a chair on Taker's face, and he drops a leg onto the chair. Then he hits a DDT, and what I wrote at this time, the crowd is silent. They don't know what the hell to do. They thought this guy was, like, dead a minute ago, and now it looks like he's got an opportunity to win this match. It, it, was, it wasn't like a, a silence because they were booing or they didn't like what was going on. It's like, we just saw these two moments, these huge bumps, two of the biggest bumps we've ever seen, and now this guy is up walking around, and... 
and maybe going to beat The Undertaker again? Uh, he takes the the thumbtacks out. Oh, boy. Oh, and he pours the tacks all over, and, and he puts the mandible claw on The Undertaker. He's getting ready to set up The Undertaker to try to, you know, throw him into the tacks, and... Taker battles out of the mandible claw And He Ends up falling backwards With mankind on his back Onto the tacks And fully has them Everywhere Good god almighty he's a human pin cushion And even the undertaker's got him In his arms and legs just from falling back Uh, Then we get a Choke slam on the tacks And I'm glad And we get a tombstone for the win I, I forgot and I'm glad that they didn't go over to the tax and do that damn tombstone on there. It was like, please, dear God, do not do that. They didn't. Um, I mean, unbelievable. Tombstone on the tax for the win. And the one thing I love about the very end of this match when, when Undertaker pins Foley, when he hits, we pins him, it's the one, it's the two. Foley's leg, his one leg, does this. Like the most weak Attempt at a slight Try to kick out And it just doesn't have anything left And it just kind of he just Leg just kind of flops out there I love that little moment because it just shows you like Foley was trying He he got up off of that stretcher He came back after the second bump He was trying he had everything out Every ounce in his body and it was just Uh he had nothing left. That's just little spots like that. What he did at the very beginning when he walks in the cell, looks around with the chair, throws it up. Then what he does at the end when he gets pinned, just kind of like the last bit of life has been knocked out of me. And the the one thing Jr. said, or you know, he's still trying. And Jr. says they gave you everything in their body and everything in their soul. And Mick Foley, after all of this, he would not go out on a stretcher. He ends up walking out with help from Funk and the referees and, and the doctors. He did not want to be taken out of this arena on a stretcher. And man, this crowd, they nowadays, this crowd would be chanting Foley. And in an instant, two, two weeks later, he'd be the champ. The crowd would love it. At this time, the crowd was actually chanting for The Undertaker for a while until Foley is on the way out. And then he gets his respect on the way out from the crowd. And he actually would become. This was one of those moments that helped him become a super, super babyface, and one of the reasons why he was able to get a main event run and get the title a couple times. Yeah, and the way that they did this with Foley was really, really cool. So they did everything after this, and it would wind up leading up to Survivor Series when he winds up getting screwed over. Then in January, it happens. Foley gets the title on an episode of Monday Night Raw. Oh, that's going to put Butch in the seats. Yep, absolutely. And that's remembered as one of the big points of the Monday Night War because people wanted to see Mick Foley do it. Because everyone could identify with Mick Foley. He did not look like a superstar. He did not work according to the Professional Wrestling Superstar Handbook. He did things differently. He thought about things differently. He was a genius for what he did, and people wanted to see him succeed. They didn't care if it was as Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, Mick Foley, whatever. People wanted to see this guy 
do what he did and be successful at it. And that's not something that you can say about a lot of people. You can say that about a lot of characters, but you can't say that about a lot of people. Raw does that. Nitro counters with the finger poke of doom. Gee, <laughs> wonder who won that battle that week. Um, we have one more match to talk about the main event, but I just want to give a little bit of a shout out. If you are a wrestling fan, which you're you're listening to the, our recap, if you're a fan of Andrew Champagne, a fan of mine, or a little earlier on in this episode of That's What G Said, we talk about Pleasanton. And we go over the Pleasanton late pick four sequence Andrew, I know you're up in Northern California um, And a track that I've always I love playing the Northern County of, uh, California Fairs As someone who would always be playing Del Mar And looking for that Northern California track to play alongside And this is a track that you and I have been, been firing at a bunch I know you don't live too far away You're up there in NoCal So it's a fun racetrack It gets a, a different dynamic now with the Horses that have been running at, at Golden Gate on the synthetic, and now they go back to the dirt there. And we get to hear our, our good buddy Chris Griffin up on the mic there. So if you're interested in some Pleasanton, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. Um, how far away are you up there from Pleasanton? I am about 30 minutes, and it's a straight shot down the 680 freeway from my apartment in Concord. Pleasanton is one of my favorite racetracks in the country. Not just a handicap, but to go to as a fan. The Northern California Fair Circuit is everything that is good about horse racing because you get a passionate crowd. You get so much to do. When the Alameda County Fair is rocking, it's a heck of a scene. Pleasanton is a nice place. It's the oldest dirt track, I believe, in California, the oldest one-mile, two-turn dirt track. It's an old place. It was around in the 20s, I believe. It's a really fun place. There's a lot of charm to it. There's some high-quality horses, horsemen, and horsewomen at that place. And in fact, there's a name that you horse racing fans might want to keep in mind. That's Papa Pifas, who may very well be the fastest horse in Northern California. He went six furlongs in 109 flat last weekend at Pleasanton. He's now won three in a row. Could very well be bound for stakes company. 109 at Pleasanton, Gino, is flying. You do not see a lot of six furlongs in sub 110 or even sub 111 it's a very slow demanding surface and this horse went sub 22 for the first quarter and forgot to stop good racehorse one to watch moving forward and pleasanton's meet this year i can't give enough credit to their racing office because without going too far into it about the chrb and everything that was going on over this past spring and summer they had to put a meet together on very short notice. Last they minute, did. this all came together. They yep. did a great job doing what they could to make the best out of a bad situation. And really, that's what we're trying to do with this wrestling podcast is make the best of a bad situation and give ourselves something to look forward to. Pleasanton's doing the same thing with horse racing. They've got a seven race card on Friday. We'll take a look at the late pick four. I think it's a good sequence. I think there's a horse in there to really like at a price. And if you want to take a listen, it's going to be earlier on in this podcast, so uh, it's going to be fun. Got to give a shout uh, to our buddy up there and, and, and give some plugs for uh, for Chris doing a great job at Pleasanton. Amen. Amen there. Let's finish this show out. We got the final match on the show. It is the first blood match for the WWF title, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane. And if Kane loses, he will set himself on fire Groan. and breathe his last breath. Groan. Insane. Gasoline ringside all over To light him on fire in case he loses Um Austin chants all over 
And then the music hits And we get the huge pop when they see Austin He's got the big rap on his elbow He's got the bad staff infection Kane's already in the ring He gets the entrance first And he goes right after Kane And this is the, the Stone Cold type matches That we would see post his neck surgery Post his neck injury And and you know mainly from you know, 98 to the rest of his career There weren't very many Classics like we saw with Brett Before the injuries It was brawls, it was hot matches There was They they were quick paced, they were out in the audience They were um, all around the ring This is, you know, a lot of that They're outside the ring And the cell lowers As Austin and Kane are in the aisle And it's coming down, like, right on top of them It stops about 3-4 feet from the ground Then it comes down again and right on top of Austin as Kane is choking him on the floor Kind of using the cell to choke him At this point, Austin already has a little bit of blood on his back I don't know if you could see it or not It wasn't like gushing, but there's a little something on his back They don't really mention it JR just says that Hebner had said that if somebody had to be really busted open In order for them to to you know be the loser of this match So Kane, Andrew, how the hell are you going to make this guy bleed? He's in a full red bodysuit I think he has one naked hand <laughs> Like his one hand Are you going to just puncture his hand Because we're not unmasking Kane yet And Austin was trying to to find ways To get him to bleed But there were just no way that Austin was going to be able to win a match With this kind of a stipulation um, He's got a glove on one hand um, So At one point Kane is hanging over The door of the cell and it starts to rise Which was kind of a cool spot They end up fighting all the way down the aisle uh, By the entrance Kane suplexes Austin on the ramp He tosses a railing onto Austin And they keep showing Vince in the owner's box With Sable because we know Vince hates Austin He wants Kane to win this match Um, They're back in the ring now And Austin uses A wind fan From the announce table to hit Kane in the face Um, We get a ref bump Kane clothesline off the top rope And then he goes for a second one Austin ducks out of the way He ends up taking control Here comes the crazy son of a bitch mankind I mean, how is this guy walking, Andrew? He rolls down to the ring He comes down with a chair Austin fights him off And if Mick Foley hadn't taken enough punishment for the night He gets stunned right here (laughs) Right here um, Then we get a low blow to Kane And Austin hits a stunner on Kane Then The Undertaker comes out And he goes to hit Foley with a chair On the other side of the ring Austin has a chair He's about to hit Foley Foley ducks And the Undertaker's chair Ends up hitting Austin's chair And right into Austin's face He gets the backlash of the chair And uh, Taker um, chases Foley off He goes to to wake up the ref And, and, And when he's trying to wake up the ref Andrew Because I mean this is how I wake everybody up Let's just pour gasoline on him you're that's, poor, poor son. You know that's that's how I wake up, uh, Milo and uh, and Stephanie when it's uh, it's time to go somewhere. Gee, I mean, just pouring pouring gasoline on him, and then Caden hits Taker with a chair. Uh, the ref comes back to life, and at this point, Austin from the chair shot uh, that he had with the Undertaker, he's been completely busted open. And there we go, Kane wins first blood match. We have a new WWF champion, and if you would believe it. I'm pretty sure Kane only held this title for one day And I think that's the only time he ever held the WWF title I believe he was the world heavyweight champ 
following this a couple different times, but I think this is it for his reign as the WWF champion. It is. And that was what we had mentioned earlier on in the show. Austin getting the title back to Papa rating. The raw crowd goes insane because remember, this was a different era. Titles hadn't really started changing hands on television all that much yet. So when it happened, it was really, really special. And when WWF did that, it worked. There were a couple of things about this match that I really liked. JR had a great line about Kane early on, calling him a superhuman destroyer intent on human annihilation. Nice. That's a darn good line. That is I good. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's good stuff. Austin gets the massive pops, naturally so. The cell gets lowered. I didn't see the point of this. I thought it was stupid. The match didn't need the cell. It didn't need yet another gimmick on top of it. We did get the cool sequence with Kane draped over the railing. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you know what Kane was? You know what he was? Kane was a, a big, big guy, guy that could, could move. move. Drink, yes, drink, drink, well shot, done, shot, everybody shot, shot. drink. And there were a couple of cool spots in this match. Kane hits a couple of flying forearms. The guy was adequate as far as bouncing around goes. And that was good because Austin was the guzzling type. He didn't particularly enjoy selling for many people. So if you were going to go with Austin, you were really going to have to be able to bounce around for some of the things that he did. He tells a couple of stories about when he was working with the Big Show, and Big Show didn't really have any idea how to work with him because Austin working with Giants had gone one way and Paul White's career had been going another. It was an awkward styles clash. If you've never heard that story Watch one of the table for threes with Big Show where he goes into how Vince kept telling him to be a giant. And finally, Big Show just snaps and starts beating the hell out of Austin. It's pretty funny stuff. And he says, oh, good job, big man. You know, and Austin way likes to it. Fire up. Yeah. Yeah. He says, way to fire up, big man. Or, you know, something like that. Oh, hell yeah. Like, he loves yeah. it. So. Yep. And, and, and Paul White is going like, what the hell's going yeah. on here? Yeah. What did I sign up for? <laughs> but, um, so... It's a first blood match, and I'm glad you mentioned it because camera clear as day sees Austin bleeding in his back. It's a first blood match he loses, Yeah, right? That's it. I mean, this is like four or five minutes into the match. Real quick. It's not like it's a small cut. This is pretty obvious. Yeah, and it's not like gushing, but there's a a blood spot like right on his back. You can see it's like, yep, he got got cut up right there. So they work up the ramp. They work their way back. They do a couple of things. And here comes Mick Foley. <laughs> Foley nails it in one of the stand-up specials he did. He talks about how when he comes out, the crowd's reaction is more so, oh, no, you've done enough. Yeah. Please go home. We don't want you to get hurt. And it's like that right up until he gets hit with the stunner, in which case the crowd just pops uproariously because it's stone cold. They came to see a stunner. They got a stunner. Yay! Taker runs out. This match is so overbooked, and his finish is so overbooked. Yeah. Taker mistakenly hits Austin. Now, I don't necessarily remember this, but were Taker and Austin, like, supposed to be allies in all this? I, it was murky at best when I was yeah. reading recaps. It was one of those things where... It was where, like there was a mutual respect sort of thing from the two of them, but they were battling. They were still not... Yeah, I mean, they were only in the main event picture. It was a hodgepodge with these four guys. And, and I'm, I'm glad you kind of hit this. And one thing which is weird, and actually both of them talk about it, Austin and Taker, is that for two guys 
who were such big parts of this era of this time period, they'd never really had as much chemistry in the ring as you would have expected. The no. two of them, and they don't really have a a, a bust out um, awesome match that you know they get put in in spots a couple different times where they have fine matches, but you would just expect a little more. And Austin even talks about how he was disappointed. Between the two of them Kind of weird It just didn't The Austin Taker stuff Never really hit as a storyline It didn't connect when they were in the ring And you can even see when Taker comes out It's just There's too much going on Yep There's a lot going on And it speaks to those two styles Because Both of those guys Needed guys that were going to sell for them Yes For as great a worker as Steve Austin was After the neck injury, that wasn't really his thing. And for as great a worker as The Undertaker was later in his career, he wasn't quite there yet on his journey through the WWF. He would get there, but not really until Austin was done. So He's he's just kind of becoming a man now. Yeah. Like a person. He yeah. before this he was mythical, mystical power undertaker. And then once Paul Bearer leaves him, and it's into about ninety just like right about now, the beginning of ninety-eight, once he's kind of getting through all the stuff with Kane, he's more of he he's becoming a different version of the Undertaker. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There were things that were good, there were things that were bad. Him turning into that version of the Undertaker got us all those great Shawn Michaels matches got us a couple of great Triple H matches, and that was great. There were a couple iterations of that character that were very forgettable. Booger Red is a four-letter word for me. My (laughs) God, that was bad. (laughs) But that was when they sort of started humanizing Taker. And if Austin had miraculously been cleared to work one match in the mid-2000s, a lot of people wanted to see Austin Hogan. That was never something that I was particularly interested in. Give me Worker Austin against Worker Taker just to see what they both could do because we never really got that, and it was a case where they sort of made it a point to keep those two guys apart for as long as they Mm -hmm. could and only bring them together on minimal occasions. Now, they did that with Austin and Rock as well, but it was really different because when Austin and Rock hooked up, you knew it was going to be special because those two guys meshed so well. You need somebody that's going to sell for Steve Austin, check the box with The Rock. You need somebody who The Rock is going to have to outthink a genuine badass, check the box for Steve Austin. That chemistry was there. Austin Taker, not so much. And it's one of the reasons why the ending to this match was, was pretty overbooked. WWF sort of booked themselves into a corner with the way this was laid out. Yeah, well, at, the, 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 at the end of the day, it was fine because they got what they wanted the next night on Raw. They got there, but it wasn't the most direct, clean route. Very, very well put. And yeah, I, I, I thought this show overall, top to bottom, was fine. It, and it was, it's fun to watch a show that has a match like this or the match uh, with the Hell in a Cell or a match like the Montreal Screwjob when there's so much about one match we could talk about with the lead up, the post, the everything that comes together with it. And and then, you know, we have a couple of those hidden gems. You talk about the tag team match that you really liked that I I you know was a pleasant surprise. I liked that X Pac Owen Hart a little more than you did, but both thought it was very, very good until the end of it. Um nothing wrong. The opener I was pleasantly surprised with too. The Shamrock Jarrett was fine. Shamrock Rock is solid. And Kane Austin 
is a fun brawl It's just a little schmozzy at the end You go through the show and as we had said There was that part in the middle Where we didn't really like the rock sever and stuff The too much with Al Snow And all the head stuff it, That doesn't hold up as well on the rewatch And then before that Ken Shamrock Jarrett match we had the, the McMahon promo Which was probably You know three or four minutes too long All in all though there was nothing that was like turn my TV off horrible Even the bad stuff it, in this show Like Rock Severn it, it wasn't like a bad thing that you watch from the late 80s Where you can't even You, you want to completely miss it It was just bad for the show I, I was pleasantly surprised top to bottom with this show See I thought the too much And Al Snow head stuff got there But I see what your point is Because you yeah, could and, tell and, wheels were in motion mm-hmm. For a lot of different things this wasn't a WCW kind of thing where they were just throwing everything at the wall a couple hours before the show and see what sticks. Hey, we're going to throw this 50-year-old guy with this 50-year-old guy. It'll be fine. There was at least a reason for some of the things that they were doing. Some stuff worked. Some stuff didn't. Now, as far as timing goes, yeah, Vince's promo should have been four minutes instead of eight. It just should have been. Mm-hmm. There was no reason for it to be as long as it was that – the money was in bring Sable out, have her introduce the Stooges, have her slap Patterson around, have Vince talk for a couple of minutes and you're fine. Eight minutes. No, thank you. Uh, the rock Severin stuff. It was clunky, but it's not like it didn't serve the purpose. And plus we got D'Lo Brown with the belly protector and that launched a year and a half's worth of angles there. So even that wasn't totally pointless. It wasn't a bad show. I wouldn't call it a great show either, but there's certainly stuff to watch. And if you're a wrestling historian and you haven't seen the Hell in a Cell match between Mankind and The Undertaker, what the heck are you doing? Fire it up. Watch that match. It's something that you might only watch once. Once is all you need in order to see how much of a classic match that was for a lot of different reasons. Some right, some wrong. So our good friend Darren Zocali wasn't around, but he sent in an absentee ballot. For uh for next week, which he's going to be selecting uh, the show, and then Andrew, it'll be your selection for the week after. So next week, our wrestling rewatch is going to take us back to a WrestleMania. We haven't been at a WrestleMania in a while, and I believe this is the most recent show that we're going to be recapping so far. It's going to be WrestleMania 19. We're going to go to 2003, March 30th, 2003. We're going to go to WrestleMania 19, a show that has. Some big important matches When you go from the back uh, From the main events down Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle Oh it's we, got one of my favorite matches I like this This was we the got, HBK Jericho match Yep yep we got the Rock Austin Rock Austin 3 I believe right Rock Austin 3 here um, yep. McMahon Hulk Hogan in, in kind of a fun street fight Triple H Booker T Shawn Michaels Jericho And early in the show You know Undertaker one of his Is less you know Fun uh, WrestleMania matches. He beats a uh, big, uh, big show in A Train. But this is this is not a bad show. It's and it's before we get to the WrestleManias that are I think five, that are five and six hours long. Just a ten nine match card. There's a you know a, a dark match. So nine match card to look through. We should have some fun and it'll be a little different because we've been in the. For, it felt like for a while we were in the. Late 80s to early 90s Then for the last month, month and a half We've been living in the 96, 97, 98 era Now we're going to fast forward a little bit to 2003 Yeah, there's a lot going on on this show Some of it's really good Some of it's really bad 
We're going to talk a lot, I think, about the storyline featuring Triple H and, and Booker. Booker T. Yeah, and how that ended was, and how the yes. match was booked. And, and it yep. just, yep, there's a lot yeah. to discuss how with that one. How Booker T managed to draw money in any capacity after this storyline is a credit to Booker T as a worker. Because this was horrible, it was awful, and Triple H needs to be dragged for this. He has done a lot of good with NXT, with trying to bring WWE into 2020 and some of the things that he's done. He's done a lot of really good things in the office. But this was not his finest hour. This is the ammo for why a lot of good wrestling fans do not like this guy. That's not the only good high-profile match on the card with a weird storyline. We get a Hulk Hogan-Vince McMahon street fight we get Brock Lesnar against Kurt Angle. And if that match sounds familiar, it's the match where Brock Lesnar attempts a shooting star mm-hmm. press. Almost paralyzes can, himself. Yep. You can imagine how that looks. You can imagine how it ends. Thankfully, it didn't go an inch either way, because if it did, Brock Lesnar may be in a wheelchair. It's a significant show. It's really the end of an era because... Stone Cold Steve Austin was wrestling this match at WrestleMania 19 looking, quote-unquote, for a second opinion. It didn't come out until after the match. He was not medically cleared. Yep. That was uh, it. There's a lot going on here, and this is a good choice on Darren's part. I agree. I'm I like happy it. about this. This will be a good WrestleMania to watch. As I recall, it's not overly long. It is a no, WrestleMania, yeah. so it's a little bit long-ish. But a lot of the matches, especially early on in the card, are pretty short. So there's a lot that we can you know, sit through and move on before we get to some of the stuff that we're really, really looking forward to. I mean, there are some genuinely strong matches on this show. HBK Jericho is just a gem, and that that's the one I'm looking forward to rewatching awesome. again. They yeah. had a great feud. It was intense. It was real. It was one of some of Jericho's best work. It was some of Michael's best work overall. And it's a feud that gets... It, it, it kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. It's not always talked about as a, this awesome feud like it really should be. And like um, like I felt, it, it was it, it hit home. So it good was call. really good. Uh, the one thing is, you can argue it's not even the best feud between those two guys because Jericho left and came back. And after he came back doing the Nick Bockwinkle big words thing, he and Shawn Michaels had a trilogy of four and a half to five star matches that's just excellent. You talk about chemistry, these two guys had it. And Jericho tells a lot of stories about Michaels in his book. The one about this match that's really good is this match went 22 minutes. They apparently went about five minutes too long. Someone tried to yell at Shawn Michaels for that. And you don't do that when they've had that kind of match. He looked straight at the guy. And I forget who the guy was. It was some agent. Michaels looks at him and goes, when you have a match like that, you can go however long you damn well want. And storms off. <laughs> How are you going to counter that? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Good good pick by DZ. I'm excited to watch this one coming up this week and talk about it with you guys next week. Andrew, my friend, thank you again, buddy. Give the folks out there your plugs. Where can we find you on social media? What are you going to be working on? Let us know what's uh, up for the next episode of Champagne and JD. Sure. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter. Uh, this week, we're going to be taking a look at Keeneland. Keeneland has a five-day meet that just started on Wednesday. That's when we're recording this. And there's a lot going on. They're packing a month's worth of stakes races into a five-day meet at Keeneland. 
There's also opening day on Friday at Del Mar. I'm sure I'll be taking a look at some of that. Pleasanton as well. There's a lot going yeah. on. Not to mention next week, Gino. Next week. Your baby. Pink, your bread and butter. Sheet Andrew. Toga comes time. Back. Now, heel Andrew. I'm going to warn everybody. It's not necessarily <laughs> heel Andrew, but gimmick Andrew, <laughs> a.k.a. my alter ego, comes out. And here's a quick and dirty way to discern when it's normal Andrew or when it's gimmick Andrew. When you hear someone talking about 128 wins at a single Saratoga meeting, like Al Bundy talks about four touchdowns in a single game, that's gimmick Andrew. It took a lot of people a long time to figure out that I was doing a gimmick. Gino, one of the things that I respected so much about you, so much about our friend Danny Kovaloff, so much about our friend Joe Nevels, so much about our friend Pete Aiello, if you watched wrestling, you got what I was doing <laughs> right away. We knew it. And the <laughs> non-wrestling people are like, what's going on here? It's like, just, he's just uh, come on, come on, come on, have some fun with it. Um, if you don't like it, beat me. Exactly. Come on. We got to have some fun. I look forward to that. Uh, that's where uh, we'll definitely have to, to spend uh, some time breaking down a card or two or a couple sequences there over at Saratoga. Andrew, buddy, look forward to talking to you again next week with uh, with more old wrestling. We're going to be heading into the, the, I think, the first time into the 2000s. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. We flirted with it in the late 90s for a while, but we're diving into the new millennium, and I'm going to give you a little teaser. We're going to stay in the new millennium. For the show after that, another one of my favorites. Cool. So get excited cool. for that. Looking forward to that. Folks, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on That's What G Said. Plenty more still to come. A big thank you to Andrew. Big thank you to Dave. And thanks to uh, all the guests each and every episode. That's What G Said podcast. Make sure if you can, uh, remember, download, subscribe, rate, review, share the show around with your friends. We grow because of you. When, when you share things And uh, things have been going well For That's What G Said As you can tell We've had a couple more sponsors Jumping aboard right now And we're, we're getting some real good numbers With the listeners And we have a, a lot That we're going to be discussing Coming up now With Saratoga and Del Mar Opening up And fingers crossed Baseball and basketball Not far away We will have so much to talk about here On That's What G Said We'll be back in a few days folks 